Hey guys, what's up? Trey back here at Trey Wolf, and welcome back to another episode of the True Blue Show. I am joined today by a special new guest on the show, Alex from Twitter. And a lot of you might know him. Um, he is a very guy, nice guy, very fun to interact with and everything. Some of y'all might know him as at CFCAlex98 on there. But if not, then here's your chance to meet him. Alex, please introduce yourself to the listeners. So hello, everyone. Uh, well, on Twitter, obviously, my at is CFCAlex98. Um, other people can call me Alex H, uh, which is short for... Um, Basically, <laughs> yeah, Alexander Hybrix. <laughs> so I just thought, you know, maybe let's just simplify it, make it easy. People, I always ask people to call me Alex instead of Alexander and just put in like the initial of your first name because I seem to remember when uh, Alex Goldberg, um, you know, when, when I was basically on uh, the post spot over there, he was like, there is no way I'm going to say your first name and last name. So like, give me your name that basically that, that way I know what to refer you as. And it became Alex H from there. Yeah, definitely. And it's especially because we were just talking about it earlier. It's like, it's hard. It's a, it's a hard one to pronounce. It sounds like you even like struggle to pronounce it sometimes. Look, there's different versions. Um, you know, there's, there's people that I, I just let people just do what the way they want or at least try. And, but to me, if you just call me Alex or Alex H, I'm happy. That's cool. But if I ever have you and Alex uh, Goldberg on the show at the same time, I'm going to have to do something with besides just Alex H and Alex G or something like that. <laughs> That's kind of the reason why I did that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, Alex, tell the people a little about yourself. Tell them um, how like you became to love Chelsea, everything. Just a little intro. Uh, well, uh, I basically have uh, a medium page on basically a pin on a pin tweet. So if anyone wants to have a look, easily go through there. But briefly, um, I started becoming a Chelsea fan around 2004. It's, it's my local team because I was born in London. Uh, I lived at the time uh, probably like 10, 15 minutes from the stadium. Uh, and so I remember that I went to the French uh, school and on Wednesdays they would have activities. So you would basically choose football, you know, anything you wanted to do, because when they say afternoons are off and they man they have mandatory activities. So I, w I chose football and then I saw friends of mine, you know, basically what, what I was playing with. Um, they were supporting a lot of teams, so Man United, Arsenal, you know, like basically a big teams uh, at the time. Um, and I was just like, well, I don't know who to support. And they were some other friends were just like, you know what, just go for your local team. And that was Chelsea. And ever since then, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much been a bond. <laughs> well, definitely you picked a good team at the good time, right? At the very beginning. Mm. Yeah, exactly. so that, that's awesome. And then um, I, jeez, if there's one thing I could have changed about uh, my fandom with Chelsea, it's that I wish I wish I could have been watching at a much earlier age and everything because I didn't start watching really until after the Champions League uh, final, like after we won and everything, because I started watching because my friend Jorge, who was a fan before me and everything, so he had seen it. Um, so I was like, you know, I've always loved uh, football or soccer, where we call it from. I'd grown up playing it a bunch. 
Um, and I had started playing FIFA around that time period and everything too. And I was like, you know what? I want to start watching a lot more. So I decided to watch Chelsea because um, that was my friend's team. And I was just like, oh, it'd be good for us to talk about. So I chose Chelsea because of that. Um, and <laughs> a lot of people would say, call me a bandwagon or something for choosing them right after they won the Champions League final. But if there's anything I could have changed, I really wish I would have been able to watch around 2004 and on that way. Like I could just see everyone growing up, like see the Lampard, see Terry, see Drogba, see SC and see all of them. Mm-hmm. And I, that's sadly something I missed out. I grew up on basically Hazard and Aspilicueta making me fall in love with Chelsea. So that is, that is kind of what I grew up on. They're my like Lampard and Terry essentially. Um, so that it's, it's nice uh, to know that people out there still like can educate me and tell me about what the glory days were like when all of this was going on and everything. So might have to, do you like remember much? Like how old were you back in 2004? Uh, in 2004, I mean, I was born in 98. So I was probably like around six. And um, I, I mean, I don't remember much because I think around that time I was mainly uh, watching on um, on TV and, and I was watching a little bit in there. But my first live game at the bridge was, um, I think it was in 2006. I don't remember what day specifically, but it was around then. Um, and Chelsea were playing West Ham. It was a local derby that I definitely remember. And Chelsea were at home and they beat West Ham four goals to one. And basically, I remember from that day on, I was like, okay, you know what? From here, you need to commit to watching as many Chelsea games as you can. And so, yeah, I mean, I there were games where um, obviously when I was young, I was also going to school, but I would try and push my parents to actually go to Champions League nights, especially on the group stage. Um, I remember those, those were amazing. Uh, and yeah, and then obviously fast forward uh, later on, we won the Champions League. That was an amazing experience. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I still cannot believe to this day, I, winning the Champions League, I was crying of joy. That, that was just, um, yeah. And then I also remember the, the one in Moscow. Uh, and that just, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that one. I was just so sad to see. Was that 2008? Well, yeah, that was 2008. Uh, okay. we, we were under Avram Grant at the time. And obviously because um, Mourinho had done his three years and, and a bit over, he basically parted ways with the club, as I recall, in September. And then Avram Grant, who was sort of like a friend, I think, of Roman Bravovich, came in. Uh, but sadly, obviously, he didn't win the Champions League. And so, obviously, he got sacked uh, because, obviously, they didn't win the Premier League either. Hmm. So then, then, then should Tuchel be sacked if we don't win Champions League? Well, here's the thing. I mean, the, the overall objective at Chelsea is what? He, he knows the top four. Yeah. Like no one expected, no one expected for any trophies to be won. Let, let's be honest. No one expected us to go to the FA Cup final. No one expected us to go to the Champions League final. The board's target was top four minimum. If we achieve anything beyond that, that's great. But if he does not achieve top four, which, I mean, given the position we are in right now, we're going to go over Leicester. But we're currently third. I highly doubt that on the last game of the season, Chelsea will lose and Leicester and Liverpool will therefore basically win and go above. I don't see it. It's very unlikely to me. It'd be the most Chelsea thing. He's pretty much clinched this. He's pretty much clinched his goal. 
if we win the Champions League, that's an icing, like basically a, a cherry on, on top of a cake. That's it. Jeez. Yeah, because I guess when you when you see the if you take an avenue, whether it's going for the Champions League, going all out, or going all out on the last game, then either way, you can solidify uh, Champions League position for next year, which is ultimately the goal that they try to get because of the financial package, because it's a business mm-hmm. and everything. But damn, I, I I couldn't. If you asked me to pick one or the other, I'd probably pick Champions. I'd obviously pick the Champions League. And everything, assuming you could just say, okay, if you want to win Champions League, just say yes. I'd say yes every day. But no, it, it's. I think this season is so great because we're, like you said, nobody expected us to be in the Champions League final. Nobody expected us to be in the FA Cup final. We've been underdogs. And nobody expected us to be in the top four as well. Keep an eye on that one as well. Sorry to interrupt my face. <laughs> yeah. I would say the beginning of the season, they would have expected us to. But after everything kind of went down mid-season, I think people would have uh, um, estimated that we would finish sixth or something. and that Not Tuchel the boards, because the target was from them to Tuchel, top four. Yeah. Finish so, in top four, we'll be happy. So if so if Tuchel, for some, if some reason, Aston Villa got botched and then we lost the Champions League, the, then Tuchel's obviously not getting an extension on his contract. But do you think the board would even... Would you would we start looking for other people in the summer too, or do you think they would still just give them time? Look, I I don't know the mindset of the boards, obviously, because I'm not a board member. Uh, it would be very hard for me to make an assumption of the boards. But if the board's target is top four, and Tuchel could not achieve that, despite the incredible feats, he could not achieve that. And he couldn't achieve, therefore, a Champions League win, which guarantees, obviously, a route uh, into next season Champions League. Then in that case, I would believe that the board would say, look, we appreciate what you've done, but to be honest, you haven't done the minimum requirements that we set. So while I know a lot of fans would probably say, no, he shouldn't be sacked, the board will probably think otherwise. Hmm. Uh, it'd be interesting to think, because when you look back on what Tuchel's done and everything, it's like his success has been highlighted so much because of all, I think his success has been highlighted so much because he's had a lot of major wins, which Frank didn't have a lot of um, in his tenure with us. Like you've, like you see Atletico Madrid, you see Real Madrid, you see Porto. Those are huge wins. We've gotten like, he's won over Liverpool. He's won over Man City. He's uh, like several of these big teams. But then when you think about it, if we, for some reason, botch top four, it's going to be because of teams like, Southampton, Wolves, Brighton, Arsenal, West Brom, teams that you wouldn't think would have been like the rough patches in our in our stuff, which it's really weird because Chelsea always always struggle with those small teams mm. and like those mid-table side clashes. So it's it's really weird. But I, I I'm pretty confident that we're gonna get it done against Aston Villa. And I, I I feel I feel especially confident after today that we can still hold our own in the Champions League and I, I don't think that the City players have as much grit as our mm-hmm. boys displayed today. And we'll get into the Leicester game in just a minute. Um, yeah, but- well, I'd just like to add a couple of things. The, the first thing is the major difference between Lampard and Tuchel is that when it comes to Lampard, you either win big or you lose big. When it comes to Tuchel, very rarely will you see, I mean, like when we've lost, yes, okay, we lost, the, the 5-2 against West Brom was basically like, a huge exception. But if you look at it overall, we've either won small, so by small margins, we've lost by small margins. 
So, yeah, I mean, the question is, what's really more important to you? Do you want to win by big margins uh, and potentially even lose by big margins? Or do you prefer to win by uh, small margins and lose by small margins? I know a lot of people that would argue they don't care either way as long as you're winning. Like, yeah. I think what they would matter is they'd say, which one of those scenarios gets me more wins than losses? And they would pick that one. They wouldn't care if yeah. if they said – if. So if you gave me a, a season where we won, we won, uh, is it 30, is it 38 matches in a season? Is it, is that how yeah, many? 38 matches. 38. If you gave me a season where we would win like 30 of those matches and um, we would lose eight of them by, uh, let's say four goals, which is crazy ones. Or if you could give me like 25 matches that we win um, by a lot, and then we lose. We lose them barely. We lose all the other ones by one goal. Obviously, I'm going to take the 30 goal season, or it's not 30 goals, 30 win season. So I was like, I don't really think people care about how we're getting it done if we're winning big or if we're winning by one goal or so. Which is why I think people are still really high in Tuchel because uh, we haven't been scoring a lot under him, and like we've been keeping these clean sheets, so we're getting a lot of like one goal margin games, getting two goal margin games, and people are okay with that because we're winning. So, and I think that's really what's okay with it. But then it's when something happens against Arsenal, something happens in Southampton, and you could either draw or you could lose by one, and then all of a sudden it's just hits up for everyone and then no one yeah. is happy. But I think the difference is, is that the reason why people are upset about the way we lose or draw games is because we have so many chances to actually score by more than two goals. And we just don't take those chances sometimes. And people are just frustrated because they're like, well, on the one hand, we could win convincingly. And we are, the players are putting themselves in the right positions to win convincingly. But the problem is, is that we can't seem to be able to deliver on that front. Yeah, I think there's like a, I saw a graphic or something that said that uh, Chelsea's expected uh, goals um, and expected wins um, puts us in second place. Or something, and then our actual obviously Since has this, arrived, yes. in, yeah, in fourth. So it's crazy because really, if you, I wonder if you analyzed all of the games that we've played in, I wonder if the majority of the goals that we have missed out on when it comes to XG and everything have been from bad finishes or have been from just bad positioning that, like, you like, like, say, um, a goal goes right across or a ball goes right across the box, and someone should have been able just to tap it in and everything, but they were just in the wrong spot versus. Uh, someone like Werner or something, and just poor Werner. I'm just going to use him as an example. Hitting the ball from um, um, right in front of the box, and then it just goes off his foot wrong, and then it just misses the target or something like that. Yeah. Like I wonder what more of our goals comes down to, like why we aren't putting them in the back of the net. And then there's obviously VAR, which is having to take a bunch of our goals away. <laughs> yeah, VAR is very controversial. That's that's for sure. Um, it sucks. Now. Uh, I, I seem to, I was basically thinking about writing a tweet, but I'm, I'm just going to probably say it now. Uh, so under Thomas Tuchel, basically, uh, in, in the 2020-21 season, we've had 17 wins, 6 draws, 3 losses. We've had 34 goals in, for us. Uh, that's obviously including the FA Cup. If you exclude that, that's 30. Um, in terms of our XG, excluding the FA Cup, unfortunately, that's how it is. Um, it's 37.1. So our actual goals is 30, uh, excluding the FA Cup. Um, and our XG 
is 37.1. Now, by the way, I'm not taking into account the Leicester game because there's still not their XG release Wh yet. Which one? The, the one from today or the, the FA one we, the one Because you said uh, FA Cup didn't count. Yeah, no, no, the one from um, today. So is that essentially saying that we should have scored seven more goals than we actually have under Tuchel? Which is crazy mm -hmm. because when you think about it, and if you combine all of Southampton, Brighton, Arsenal, Wolves, um, all of those, I think all of those, if you added seven goals dispersively throughout all of them, you could have won all of those games, I think. Probably yeah. all of them. And that's that just gets you a lot more points but, overall. But that tells you, I mean, Chelsea could be in second right now if they had those type of goals. Yeah, it's crazy to think seven goals could get you three or four more wins, isn't it? Like, that's why I guess yeah. people want a, a, a new striker kind of so badly. Because, and honestly, I don't think the people would want a striker that much if Werner was scoring, like, at least if he'd bagged at least 10 more goals this season, I think they would have been fine with Werner. I think they would have given him a little more leeway. Mm -hmm. I think they like that Havertz looks really promising at times. Um, unfortunately, Havertz does have a hamstring injury. Now that he got today during the Leicester game, I think during warmups, he may be out for the season. We're not confirmed on that. But I think yeah. the problem that a lot of people are having is that. Even when Havertz is in good form sometimes, he's missing some easy chances, like his one-on-one -on -one with Burnt Leno. Um, there's a couple in the Real Madrid game that he should have put away. So I guess people are really just wondering, like, who can we bring in that it would really change the game for us? And obviously, there's the big three names. There's Lukaku, Holland, and Kane. Kane being one of the new ones that, um, that he's mentioned to Spurs that he's wanting to leave. Um at the end of the season and he's saying he also wants it settled before the euros because he's planning to play for england so a lot of things heating up also i holland probably i don't know if i'm making a prediction i think holland's gonna stay with dortmund one more season or get a renegotiated re contract because they did secure champions league uh qualification uh we know inter won uh the league um finally over juventus so i've heard rumors conte might leave but it's not certain anything so there's a lot of stories just up in the air right now with anything could go either way so i would say holland is probably i would say holland's actually a little less likely compared to kane um because kane it's probably just amount of obviously it's politics with spurs and daniel levy who probably don't want to sell to us but they're if they're going to get europa league then they're probably going to need the money and for what I'm guessing would be 150 million uh, or like um, apparently it's it's going to be 120 million perhaps. 120 was that 120 with or without a player potentially uh sorry can, can you repeat that Wait, like so um, what I'm saying is would it be 120 saying like 80 million like Tammy Abraham or something in concept or do you oh, think no, no, just... 120 million flat god okay so that's a lot of money <laughs> shit yeah um Spurs don't want to help Chelsea out, but at the same time, 120 million can do a lot for Spurs and their squad. And especially if they don't get Champions League football, they might need it because uh, clubs like Arsenal and Tottenham are are suffering. Like they are not doing well. And not to mention, someone like Huming Song probably should have left Spurs like now along with Kane. Both of them are too good for Spurs, especially considering that they're going to be riding Europa League for a little bit longer. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Son tries to leave because um, what is Son? Is he like 28 by now? Yeah, he, he's got to be. He's, he's been there several he's, years. I think he's somewhere along that range. Yeah, I don't think you'd be wrong by saying that. That uh, 
I'll check it. I'll check it really quick, but it's something very surprising to me that I've never heard a rumor of Son being linked to somewhere like Real Madrid, Bayern, um, Barcelona. He is, he's 28. He is 28. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how he's never been linked with another team like that. Cause Son has always been someone I thought has been decently exceptional with, in the right system. He can be a stellar player. Then obviously um, Kane always has been exceptional whenever he's staying healthy. So you would think that Tottenham have the, the capabilities to replace those two um, and then put a lot more into the squad with all the money. They, they could get easily 200 million for both of those players mm-hmm. in together. And then yeah. Bale is also, I think, going back to Real Madrid next season. Lucas is probably closer to retirement than I would say than a new contract. Cause I think Lucas is fairly old. I forget sometimes how much he played for PSG already uh, back in the day. You, you know, I love how we're talking about Tottenham players right now. <laughs> yeah. It, it's so crazy, but it's because it all comes back down to Kane and the fact that we're wondering, can we actually get Kane, which I think every Chelsea player would love getting Kane because at the end of the day, like I said, when I was talking about uh, Texas uh, university in Austin, as much as we hate them, we know that they're good. Well, they're, they're okay. good. What I'll just say is Lucas Moore is 28. He's the same age as Son. Is he really? Wow. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think their oldest player, I'm probably going to have to confirm just to make sure, uh, exclude Bale. Um, yeah, well, it, it's definitely uh, Hugo Lloris. Wait, then it's Joe it Hart. Oh my God, Joe Hart. I can't believe- That was such uh, a weird <laughs> signing to me, seeing Joe Hart go to Spurs. And he's not even good there. Yeah, he's a backup goalie. He's a um, shell of a man. He uh, and then you have Toby Alderweireld, who's 32. Uh, then you have Bale and Sissoko. They're both on 31. Yeah, so see, I feel like, and they bring, and they got, they got Bergwijn in. They got Bergwijn in, who should, was supposed to be a uh, promising Dutch talent. They can spare Kane, bro. They just sell him to us, and then you can rebuild off of that. There's plenty of young talents that they can start using on Europa League and everything like that. Okay, this is where I'm probably going to give my opinions on Kane, Haaland, Lukaku. Okay, go ahead. All right, so let, let's let's start off with Kane because that's where most of our discussion is. All right, Kane, 120 million. Right, is, first of all, is he a player who's worth that much? Well, if you ask in terms of goals, contributions, in terms of, obviously, this season, he's been doing exceptionally well in terms of assist contributions as well. Um, I'd say, you know what? He seems worth it. Now, is 120 million worth it given his injury record? Because we all know that every season he at least gets a mild injury. He can even get a big injury, and that can impact the team. Now, okay, so you get Kane, 120 million, you spent it. Where does he go? He goes obviously at striker, but what does that mean for Kai Havertz? What does that mean for Tammy Abraham? A lot of people are, are basically crying and being very sad about Tammy Abraham being frozen out. But at the same time, you want Kane, you want Haaland, you want Lukaku. You got to pick and choose. Do you want those players or do you want Tammy Abraham to stay? I think so a lot of that's, that's my first opinion on, on, on when it comes to, to Kane. When it comes to Haaland, now, I follow Dortmund and I love basically, um, I, I'm starting to become slightly... Uh, um, as, as years go on, a, a passionate Dortmund supporter. And I would love to see Haaland stay another year at Dortmund. I think, I think basically if he does, there is a bio clause that comes into effect in the summer 2022 of 67 million pounds, as I recall. And 
if that's the figure, uh, obviously, I think uh, it is. But the advantage there is Chelsea could try and pursue him for a much lower fee. But also, they will be able to judge him like properly over like a couple of seasons how he fares. Because you've seen Haaland sometimes struggle to perform in big games. You've seen him struggle to perform sometimes like basically in the second leg against PSG. You've seen them struggle to perform against Man City uh, this season. So the, the question is, is he a player that you can rely on in big games? And I think next season is going to be make or break for, for him to basically know whether or not he is that type of player. Now, I'm not saying he's not, and I'm, obviously he is young, he's developing. No one's denying that. But it is make or break to see it because what a lot of fans want right now is a player who you can depend on in big games. Otherwise, they would be relying on Kai Havertz. Otherwise, they would be relying on Tammy Abraham. They wouldn't be searching for the likes of Lukaku, Haaland, and Kane. So there, there's obviously that. And then finally, when it comes to Lukaku, obviously there's rumors that it could be 80 million euros. Um, now, when it comes to Lukaku, the, the interesting part about him is that he kind of reminds me a little bit of Mohamed Salah, where he came to Chelsea. It didn't work out as well as he would have hoped. And then he went to Serie A, he went to Roma, and that's where he thrived. But the thing about Salah, and that's different than Lukaku is, at Chelsea, Salah was mostly a bench player. But he went to Roma, and then he excelled. And then he went to Liverpool, and then he started hitting form just like that. But it's his experience in the Premier League that allowed to say, right, okay, this is what I need to improve on in the Serie A while playing games consistently. And I think Lukaku has done that. So if, if I, you told me, right, who do you want out of Haaland, Kane, and Lukaku? I'd be happy with Lukaku. I'd take Lukaku. I'm not so sure about Kane. His injury record worries me. Worries me Haaland, I give him another season. I want him to prove himself in big games. And I'll leave it at that. So the one thing I'll say about Haaland is that I don't understand contracts negotiation as much as I probably would like to, but I can't see the, the release clause staying at 67. I feel like they would renegotiate a new contract for him um, and that they would make someone else buy it out at a much higher price because I think Dorman, Dorman, it's confirmed. Dorman is a team that needs a lot of money right now based on their books and everything that they've said. It's, it's come out like that, that they're probably going to sell Sancho this season possibly if a good bid comes in for him more than they would for Lukaku because they need the money. So I can't see them literally losing half the value of a transfer fee for Holland in the next summer if he only goes for $67 million. So my thing is, even if we let him go this season, I don't think we get him next season for a very cheap price. Um, my thing with Lukaku is I would like seeing Lukaku, and I like the fact that he's much more durable than Kane. He's one year older, but in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't make a big difference. So I think he could still do a good job um, in the Premier League. My, and like I like that he's more, I like he's more durable than Kane. You're right, Kane has that injury in him. He's always probably going to get it, no matter what goes on um, in the season. He's always going to get it at some point. I guess it's a matter of how many goals he puts in before then and after he comes back. Um, I love, but I, what I do love from Kane is that he's always dependable. He's always reliable. He's, 
he kind of reminds me in Drogba in the sense that he will show up in e- you when you probably least expect it, and he will get a goal for his team and everything, mm-hmm. which is something Chelsea definitely need. And he's a very proven goal scorer. But I feel like if you look at those three, I think Kane would be the most w- likely one to want to go to Chelsea because um, based on what Lukaku has said, he seems happy at Inter right now, especially after just winning a title and everything. And as long as Conte doesn't leave, I don't think he really wants to go. I think Holland wants to leave, but he doesn't necessarily want to go to Chelsea per se. And he doesn't like, he's not driven to go to anywhere in particular. Like it's kind of more like Minerola. It seems like he's shopping him around just seeing who's the prettiest um, place to go to. I think Kane would have more, more to, to work upon saying, I want to stay in London. I want to stay in the Premier League. I think he's trying to push to beat Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record if he can, because he's still got a, a good couple of years. Because if he signed for Chelsea right now at 27, and he stayed, so let's say he has an ongoing injury that goes every uh, season, but maybe he's out a month at most. Um, I could say he, I could see him staying until he's 31 or so, and then maybe leaving, because Chelsea don't like to keep people past 30 too much um, for, like, uh besides Thiago Silva and like Giroud, but I could see Kane doing a lot for us if he stayed healthy. And I guess the question is, does Roman have, Roman has the money. Is he willing to bargain that much on Kane to do that? And what mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day is any one of these strikers is going to cost a lot of money. Any one of these strikers has the potential to do really well or to underperform, um, at least within the first year. I think in the second year, all of them would come to terms with how to play better. So, what? What I'll just I'll just interrupt you there because I just want to say one thing. The name me one player who Chelsea has spent fifteen million or over and has performed very well. I don't think um, there's any because literally the only people I know of that are over that much are Kai. Murata and Kepa, I believe. If so, I'm we have basically. I mean, we have Chilwell, we have Torres. You said fifty Kai. million. Yeah, fifty million over. Okay, so I guess the Ben, the Ben. Uh, so you have Ben Chilwell. You have basically. I think you can make an argument for Timo Werner, although I think it's like just under. He, yeah, I think uh, he's like forty-ish. Yeah. Um, you have Morata. You have Kepa. You have Kai. Um. So when I look at those big money spendings, they've not fared out for us very well. So I, this is where I go to the counter argument of, okay, you want to spend this big? Okay, I understand. But at the same time, there is a mentality at this club uh, of fans. Basically, it's not a direct criticism of them. But there is a certain expectation that if you, if, we, if the club pay a huge amount for you, you have to deliver week in, week out. Naturally. And if one of these players that we decide to buy doesn't perform in that first season, remember what happened to Morata? <laughs> some people are built different in the head, though. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously some people are built different, but we don't know how these players are going to react to when they hear fans booing them and criticizing them on social media and all of these things. So everyone is built different. It's true, but we've never... I mean, we haven't really seen much of these players when they got booed or criticized because Kane, I mean, let's be honest, he is obviously um, Tottenham's best striker, but he hasn't really been in a position where people have really jumped at him and criticized him. Haaland, same thing. 
I mean, he's just considered a wonder goat. But we're also um, saying that we're also saying that as Chelsea fans, though we don't we're not on we're not on Tottenham Twitter or anything like that. We we don't really besides if you're unless you're yeah from England the outside looking in yes unless you're an England supporter and and then you see people bashing Kane like from the national team or something like that, then that's one thing. We really don't see how Tottenham bash everyone, but also at the same point you got to say Kane hasn't been almost bad enough to been the one to get bashed all the time. Like he's, he's fairly consistent. He's probably the most consistent one on that team. So the thing I would say is yes, but when you look at Morata, Morata was never a person that was worth his price tag. Even when he's done it, Kepa was never worth the price tag where he was doing Kai. Kai was priced that much because of his talent and everything, but he hadn't lived up to it at that point yet, but they were saying he's going to, so the thing about Kane, Lukaku, and Holland, Holland is the big is the most similar to those situations because he technically hasn't lived up to that yet because he hasn't won titles and everything like that. But he's done so many so much goal scoring that like Kai, they're saying he's gonna be the biggest thing. But the thing with Lukaku and Kane, they've already proven themselves as established players and threats. So that's why I feel like when it comes to price tags, that they the big price tag for them doesn't affect them as much because they're already used to being the star man, the big guy that people depend on. Because Lukaku has been that for Inter for a good couple of years now, and he won a title with them now. Kane's been that for Tottenham for a good bit. They got to a Champions League final and everything. Granted, they lost, but and they haven't ever won anything. But he's also always been a, a exceptional, dependent person. And when you think about what Kane works with in his system and what he's worked with the past couple of years, coming to Chelsea, you can only improve upon that really. Yeah, I see your point, but I also am reminded about one player, Andrew Chechenko. Oh God! Remember how that went? Technically, he I don't. He was a Battle of winner. He was a Battle of winner. He came from AC Milan. He obviously he joined Chelsea because I mean, as I seem to remember, um, his wife was friendly with um, with Roman's wife, so that's how they knew each other. And then after he came in, and it's like, well. I mean, we spent at least 46 million on him. At least. And it, I mean, I'm sure basically if you if you rack up the price, it could be basically into that 50 million mark. Look at how that turned out. Wasn't Crossbow a similar situation? So, well, I don't know if it was that much. Um, but like he was a big name player, wasn't he? And then and we bought him. Yeah, and he flopped. Yeah, I mean, he was a big name player, but I, th- I think he was also, if I remember correctly, he wasn't. There wasn't much expectation when he came to Crespo. I may be wrong, but that was before my time, so yeah. I, it's hard for me to know. I, I don't know because I never saw Shevchenko. I never saw Torres. I never, I didn't even see Drogba. So I, this everything. I never talk about mm-hmm. those flops and everything. Um, Drogba's not a flop. He was just mentioning yeah. there's people. Yeah, like, Drogba during his first two years was horrendous. I, yeah. I can, I can tell you for certain. Torres, he's highlighted the moment. Uh, everyone hyped him up because of the Champions League semi-final. Apart from that, I can't remember a key moment for for our club. Yeah. So. Like, um, so yeah. Um, obviously, people say fifty million pounds were repaid that night, but it's like, come on, it's not just one game that he's repaid for. Um, so you know, I mean, look, I understand the argument, but the counter argument is. You spend 80 million, 120 million on players like that. Isn't it more efficient 
to trust in Kai, especially because Tuchel is trying to build a team around Kai and around Werner, most likely, and around Mason Mount, all those three players, and then say, you know what? What's really the problem? We need a really good holding midfielder. We need a centre-back that we can rely on in a back four. We need a, back, a backup for Mendy, who obviously is going to go to AFCON. So I'd say prioritise those first, and then if there's still money left in the bank, okay, fine, go for the striker if you really want to. But prioritize that area first. That is probably the most important thing. Because the thing about Tottenham is they have a great attack. But look at their defense. It's all over the place. It's cheap. So if we go to a back four and we don't solidify a defense, I mean, forget about the Premier League title. We're not going to win it. My thing is, is that we talk a lot about being worried about going back to our solidifying our defense. But we don't know if... if Tuchel's really not giving us anything to work off of is if we're changing systems or if we're going to keep this system. If we're going to keep this system, I don't think we need to sign any center backs. If we're going to a back four, we forget that Frank Lampard's back four line with uh, Chilwell, Zuma, Silva, and Reese James was probably the most defensive or second most defensively successful back line in the Premier League when we were in a great form. So we technically do have the assets to it what I think we keep talking about is if we need to buy center backs in because we haven't seen Rudiger and Christensen come back into a back four and do as well. And my thing is if Rudiger keeps his form in a back four that he's doing in a back three right now, I don't think we're having this issue because I think it's just okay. Rudiger and Silva at that point. Right. So that's, that's the first point. The second point in regards to transfer overall is the, look, it's all good saying we need to sign these key players, these big money signings. But at the same time, what we really need are players that have this never give up mentality. We had that with Lampard, we had that with Terry, we had that with Cole, Drogba, Czech. Like, this season, we've had hints of it from certain players. Aspi, Georgie, Kante. Kante, I think, probably has done it the most. But Mendy, Mount, is, I mean, has done it, definitely. Pulisic, Reese, Thiago Silva. Really good, by the way. Verdict. So, out of all of those players, because we've seen that never give up mentality sometimes for some of them, but the ones that really stand out to me is Kante, Mount, and Silva. That's three players. That's not enough. So, if, if basically, in that sense, actually, thinking about it, the players with that never give up mentality, Harry Kane would make sense. Declan Rice would make sense. If we could have those two additions, I'm on board. I think we're still like, I think the bit, like I said, kind of hinted before, the biggest piece of the puzzle we really need is too cool to, to give us a hint at what we're going to try for next season, or else yeah. we're kind of just making a bunch of useless debates at everything saying exactly. we, need, we need a holding defender, or sorry, we need mm -hmm. a holding midfielder kind of that could work in any system per se, but. Exactly. Um, the biggest thing, too, like we talked about um, the other night um, with that Kai was kind of bought in as a luxury buy and everything, like a shiny toy, which we really didn't consider where he'd work. The thing I'm telling everyone right now is we all want a striker. A striker's being prioritized this season. But no matter who comes in, 
somebody's going to get upset by the end of next season because they are not going to get to play as much depending on the system. If we go for a 4-3-3 and Kai gets put at an 8 again, if he doesn't do it well, he's getting benched and he's not going to be a striker because mm-hmm. we're going to have a new striker come in. You're going to if you're going into the 4-2-2-2, then you're going to have probably a Kai and uh, a new striker or a Kai and Werner up there. You're going to have probably Mount and one winger, which is probably Pulisic, Zim and Callum are probably going to get upset. Um, and then you're going to have obviously Declan and if Declan comes in or Jorginho or Rot or Conte, then you have those people. I think they could probably stay happy and everything, but I'm saying if we are going to get a striker or anything, someone's going to get upset and leave at the yes. end of next season. That's also the, the major problem is that you're going to have someone that's going to be upset. But, but the thing is, is that are we, are we really going to be in the mindset of, we, we have to basically care about our players and basically make sure that they're rotated all the time to be happy. Or are we Chelsea Football Club, which is basically, we're all about winning, we're all about doing well. And so if they can't get in the team, but we're winning games, does it really matter? They, At the end of the day, we're about, we, we have our, our, our goal is to have a, a starting 11 of t- t- players that never give up. So if Callum Hudson-Odoi is not that player, you know what? I don't mind. If Tammy Brown is not that player, you know what? I don't mind. And I think that being in multiple competitions really helps us because then these players do really get the game time and everything that they're wanting and everything. But somebody's mm-hmm. going to make a big fuss about not being in the starting 11 for the Premier League or the Champions League. And my thing, too, is I, I'm worried that if, if we're not going to a two-striker formation or if we're going to a fourth, um, if we're going to a four through three, if Kai Havertz isn't, he, I, I feel like, because Tuchel keeps saying Werner and Havertz are the future of this club. But obviously, we know Mount is the future of this club, too. And I would say Werner and – not Werner, sorry. Mount and Havertz are more the future of this club together than Werner is. So I would say you have to figure out a, a situation where you pl- you're starting Kai and Mount every game when they're healthy. I'd say they're two of the first people I need to see in the team over Werner. But – and don't get me wrong. Werner's, Werner affects the team well and everything, but he's not a player I see as – they have to be in the starting 11 because one, a good, a, a fair reason why Kai has to be is his price tag. We can't have spent that much money because the Marina Gravis guy is probably going to give up uh, a lot of hassle behind the scene about Keppa not playing or anything. And he needs to get featured a lot more than because he's got that price tag on him until he leaves. She'd be the same thing about Kai. So Kai would be eventually get forced into a system unless we already have a system that's built for him. And I think the four two 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 is really what's going to be the best system to use him and Mount at the same one. That could be one option. The other option would be that we do we do the style the clock way. So we go the four three three. We play Havertz as sort of like that Firmino role, which, by the way, Klopp was interested in Havertz, yeah. and Havertz was going to be the replacement for Firmino. We know that for a fact. Yeah. We also know that Timo Werner. Klopp was interested in him. And you look at his style, you compare him to Liverpool players, he's very similar to uh, Mohamed Salah. He's a type of player who likes, who obviously like, who's very good at finishing, who's not really known for his first touch, who's not really known for dribbling, but you can depend on him in terms of like finishing in general. And in the Bundesliga, he has proven himself. 
Yeah. Now, the difference between Salah and uh, basically Werner is that they, well, Salah likes to go onto the right-hand side of pitch and play and can play sometimes as a second striker. Whereas Werner, he prefers to go on the left side and play as a second striker. So that's probably the only difference. So therefore, me, it's okay. okay. Werner on the left, uh, Kai Havertz as a center forward. On the right, that's where the decision is going to have to be key. And to me, it would be probably the best option to go for Christian Pulisic. Is so that, that is, are you talking about 4-3-3 in this kind of situation? Yeah. Okay. In this situation, so you'd have that. Then you'd have Mason Mount uh, playing basically as a number eight, mm-hmm. as a deeper number eight, um, alongside a player like Kante or Kovacic, um, who can be that sort of like ball winner so, uh, sort of player. Are you whereas, talking about the opposite eight? Yeah, yeah, the other eight, basically. Okay. And then you would have that holding midfielder, that Fabinho-type player, that Fernandinho-type player. And that's where, obviously, that's why, obviously, a lot of fans are interested in Declan Rice. He would fit in perfectly. Um, we were also linked with Marquinhos. He would fit in perfectly there, too. So that sort of system would work. Obviously, you have Chilwell and Rhys James as a fullbacks. They like to push up, so it suits very well. But the centre-backs will have to be the key question. Who will be our centre-back pairing? Now, Thiago Silva probably has one or two seasons left in him. Obviously, Liverpool have a player in Virgil van Dijk, who's obviously been currently out injured for quite some time. But apart from that, who is, for Liverpool, who is like that natural centre-back that they can depend on? Probably Joe Gomez would be the next one, wouldn't you think? And mm. I'm, I'm probably like basically, if Van Dyke gets injured, then they do have Fabinho, who has that sort of you know natural leadership, sort of like like basically has has a sort of leadership trait in that defense. So he could play there. What about Chelsea? If Thiago Silva gets injured, where is the leadership? I'd say, Who's the backup option for that? I'd say Rudiger would probably be the next kind of leader of a back line in that instance. But then again, you say, I like I said before, I could see Rudiger partnering Silva really in the back four like that um, if he stays as dependable. But then again, if Silva got hurt and then Rudiger's there, you would ask the question, is Christensen good enough for a back four? Honestly, I would put Zuma in there, but I think the problem with a back four is that you're going to want two ball-playing center backs instead of just one and zoom is not a ball playing center back really. And, but Rudiger is, I think Rudiger, I think, or I'm sorry, I mean, Zuma would still do a good job as in the back four, like he did before. I just think that he did that more under Frank when it was really distribute the ball to the winger, the wingers and the fullbacks and everything and let them do the work and everything. Whereas with Tuchel right now as a ball playing center back, you have to work it up the pitch in the middle a lot more. So it's it's if it's a question is if if Zuma could acclimate his game to be able to do that, then I don't think we'd be having this discussion. I don't think we'd have a real problem with it. If Christensen could be physical, dominant, and prove himself uh, competent enough in a back four as he is in the back three, I don't think we'd really having this discussion. I think the biggest thing we're worried about is if someone gets injured and then there's gaps to fill, and then that's why we're talking about bringing a new center back. But anytime we're talking about bringing a new center back, people are talking about bringing in a new starter, and then. And then I say, why are you talking about bringing a new starter when we have one of the best defensive backlines right now in debatably Europe? 
Um, and uh, we have players that are good. And then you forget, we have Tamori who could maybe come back as a, a stopgap. We have Mark Gurhi, exactly. who is playing for Swansea right now and doing well. That's also who, true. Who could come in. Um, I don't think Malang Sar is going to ever come in, if I'm being honest. I think he's going to end up getting bought by Porto or get loaned out and get bought by someone else. I feel a little bad for him just because that kind of sucks just to be trade fodder um, for your club because you saw him talking to the guys at Porto. He's like, hey, how's it going? How y'all doing over there in Chelsea? He's like, yeah, we're doing okay. But, but um, yeah, I can't um, imagine that. But there's a lot not a lot to talk about. And I just realized that we kind of just already went into the transfer series saga by talking about all this. And we went into probably a 30, 40. I don't even have a timeline here. I don't know how long this has been already. We probably like talks something like 50 minutes on this. This, but, literally okay. wasn't, this wasn't even in my agenda. This wasn't on my plan, literally. I was about to ask a fun question. Next thing I know, we're talking about how to restructure our squad for next season. And we're technically still in the intro for me. Okay. I'm going to end it with this. Uh, and then afterwards, we'll probably, we'll probably go into the, the Leicester game. because we'll, we have you, we'll just have you on for another episode to talk more about this uh, kind of stuff and like transfer talk yeah. and everything. We'll just yeah, have you on but I'll just end it on this. The the difficulty is really, if Thiago Silva leaves, who can replace him? Who can replace this quality? I don't see anyone at this club right now. Now, I'll keep in mind, I haven't been watching Ficao Tomori at AC Milan. I haven't been watching Mark Goey at Swansea. So I don't know how well they've actually been, how, how good their leadership is. So I can't really say there. But based on the team I have right now, if Thiago Silva were to leave, I would be very nervous. Now, obviously, Figaro Tomori would probably be a great option. I think Marguerite would also be a very good option. Those are probably our two future centre-back pairings. Probably one of them has uh, could basically become a starter for this team for next season. I don't know who, but there is a possibility for that to happen. Now, if we do have Mark Gohe and Figaro Tomori that comes in into team, and we have Thiago Silva, that means we have, and we go to a back four, we'll probably have one more slot left. For Rudiger, Christensen, Zuma. We're gonna, the club will really have to ask themselves, right, which one do we have to let go of? And they're still debating whether to extend Rudiger and Christensen's contract right now, which I think That's they will. I think, I think, I think Rudiger will sign a deal that will probably keep him until 2023. And I think Christensen will sign a deal that will probably keep him until 2024 yeah. or so. And keep in mind as well, they also did that with David Luiz, um, basically, uh, um, like, a couple of months before he left. Yeah. At least so that way, if they sell... It doesn't they mean they won't leave, but it's trying to say, like, look, I mean, if you want Tomori and if you want Marguerite in the, in the squad, it's like, okay, well, you're going to have to sacrifice some players. Anyways... Um, we'll save, yeah, we'll save all that for another episode. We kind of got to get back on track here because yeah. literally, I, I, I say I open every episode like this. We're literally in the middle of the episode right now, or something like that. And probably someone's reading the title and thinking, "What in the world does this have to do with like the subject of the episode or anything?" Because because of all the Kane news that came out and everything, all the transfer talk, it's it's still relevant. We're at the end of the season. Yeah. We're we're on the verge of transfer talk season. So I mean, you and you're, not, you're probably not complaining thinking about all this because you're probably thinking about it yourself if you're listening. But so, Alex, I'll ask everybody who comes on here a fun question. Normally within the first ten minutes of the episode, but I'm, I'm I don't have a timeline. We're probably way past that but i'm still gonna ask you a fun question because i gotta stick with my mantra of the show so fun question of the episode if you were getting married 
which Chelsea player would you make your best man? Um, like like out of the current Chelsea players, yes. not like, yeah, like legends squad. in the past or anything no. like that. Current squad. Damn. Damn. Um, I don't know. Huh? Because I got to remember, a best man has to be dependable, reliable, yeah, trustworthy, uh, a little spontaneous. But basically, he's got your back at all times. But um, yeah, just just think about like who would you want uh, backing you up on your big day? You know, I I can't seem to decide between two players. I think Rudiger would be amazing. I feel like you're thinking about Rudiger and Mason Mount. I think I'm thinking about Rudiger and um, Thiago Silva. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking about Rudiger and Thiago Silva. Um, but it, because I've seen, I think. Uh, Rudiger more often than you know the type of personality that she shows off on on social media and yeah I, I probably have to go with Rudiger that that guy is just something else that he brings energy some like he brings energy to, to to the wedding that would be amazing in the most respectful way possible I, I'm really afraid when I say this is gonna taken wrong I would see Rudiger more as like um like a maid of honor kind of role because the, <laughs> because they listen, listen, listen when I say this, because the thing about the maid of honor is that when something goes wrong for the bride, they literally just put on this whole different persona. They march into wherever they have to go to fix something and they will wring someone's neck to make sure that thing gets sorted out and ready for the bride. Cause literally they will lay a, a maid of honor is much more dependable than, a, than a, a, the best man. I will say that every day because the maid of honor is like the sister for the freaking uh, the bride and she will lay down her life to make sure that the bride has her day perfect and everything. I feel like Rudiger would lay down his life to to have your back in that kind of instance. So and it's so weird to say that, yes, I would see Rudiger more as a maid of honor than a best man. But that is what I mean. Like, I think I think Rudiger, if he cared enough about you and everything like that he would lay down his body and his life to protect yeah. you. So. But that, that's kind of also the role of the best man is like, basically your job is to make sure everything goes well. It's supposed to be, but I could, I, I could tell you, I could see some best man not following through with that. If you got the best man in the hangovers and everything that will just say, okay, I'm going to take you to Vegas and everything. And next thing you know, you yeah, well, Barclay okay. is your best man. The <laughs> difference is, is that Rudiger can't really drink alcohol. So you, you won't have to worry about that. He can't? No, he's Muslim. Oh, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't aware. I mean, I seem to remember he is, but but look, I mean, that's an advantage because, like, you know, the guy's going to be sober. He's going to be focused. He got a DD built into the the groom's party. <laughs> Just don't ever have Ross Barkley as your best man. It, it, it's going to go tits up. <laughs> I I, okay. I would want it. I would. I would say I personally want Mason Mount as my best man. I feel like because. He always is gonna have a smile on his face. He's always gonna be uh, hopeful. He's gonna he's gonna be very reliant, very dependable, and everything like that. I feel like he's gonna. I'm gonna be stressed out as hell my wedding date. I'm just gonna be worried about everything. I'm just gonna be overthinking things, and he's probably gonna be cracking jokes and everything just to yeah, try but then, to take. I think maybe you want him go to Kante then. I don't think Kante would say much to me. I think he just smile and be like, "Okay, <laughs> it'd be okay." I don't. I I, I can't. I, I can't see Conte being a best man, really. I like. <laughs> I don't know. I can see Giroud being a an efficient, <laughs> like be the guy getting you married. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine a Giroud being ordained and married someone? 
And then all of a sudden, your your bride is just like looking across. You're just looking across at her, and you're trying to make eye contact with her, but she won't stop looking at Jerude. <laughs> that's I, that's yeah. how I see that wedding going. No, no I, I guess for me, it's it's more or less like you, you know you want to be around the people that. Um, I mean, basically, yes, you could be like around the uh, young people if, if that's what you want. Uh, people that aren't that really in like committed relationships or anything like that. But for, for me, when I when I for a best man, it's important to have someone that um, that is that is probably like already married, but and knows what it's like to be in a wedding. Is Rudiger married? Yeah. Is that why he wears that band of tape on his finger every game? Is that like a, a ring? I think so, yeah. Okay, because I've, I've noticed he has a, a thing of tape around his finger. I know some people do that for like uh, wedding couples. Some get their like initials tattooed or something like that, and they don't wear a ring. Some uh, wear tape around it. But okay, that would make sense. But you know, I guess that's, that's a good kind of point that Rudiger would kind of be like a mentor role or like he would be able to assure you, he'd be able to give you advice and everything like that. I feel like Mason mm-hmm. Mount would just be a lot more relatable to to be with because i feel like rudiger even though technically rudiger's actually when you think about it only a couple years older than us isn't he like like he's like 28 or 27 well hang on how how old are you i'm 23 so it's weird i see these guys on playing for us as grown-ass men oh hang on hang on i may have made a huge mistake here rudiger doesn't isn't married he's probably single i mean my buddy, I, I, okay, well, <laughs> my buddy right, is so like I, my just, I just threw myself under the bus with that comment. Um, he's 28. Uh, regardless, it, it, it doesn't matter. To me, I'll still go for Rudiger. Rudiger yeah. seems like a grown-ass man to me who could be like my dad or like my uncle or something. He's five years older than me. That's so weird. <laughs> That's so weird to think about that Rudiger is only five years older than me. Mm. He doesn't seem like it <laughs> at all. I mean, he doesn't look like he, he looks like a guy who's just entered 30. Christian Pulisic is younger than me, I think. And yeah, he is. This man's just like he's like he's, okay, he's put, like, put it this way: the moment you have a player like Christian Pulisic who makes a big time at Chelsea, you know your career is over when you're older than him. Damn, Alex just admitted my career is over, guys. <laughs> I'm not trying to take this news. I was holding out hope. I literally re- tweeted out on Twitter today a picture of a. Uh, li- Unless you're a guy like Mendy, uh, who basically tries and tries and. I'm tries going the Mendy route. I'm going the Mendy route. I'm coming out of unemployment. I'm going to make my debut in the, for the <laughs> Chelsea Academy sometime. But literally, I tweeted out today. It was a video of a second tier Chinese league side who's uh, the the club's owner, the coach, or the club's owner. I think said, "Put my son in to the coach." The son went in and played. I'm not making fun of him or anything, but he was a very out of shape dude. And he looked like me basically. And he went out there and he was just playing. And I'm like, this is me coming out of my, out of my pandemic and going to play. So yeah, guys, don't, I'm coming the Mendy route. Don't rule me out yet. I'm done. <laughs> but okay. So that's it for our question. So we, um, I was going to say let's glance over the Arsenal FA Cup loss, but after how much talking we've done and everything, I don't think it's worth kind of... Dull- and we can still talk about it if you I want. Mean, I mean, I don't feel like it really because we're kind of on a high and everything. I don't want to have to think about all the things that we've kind of suffered through because it's been... Look, uh, I mean, it's good to think about the things that we suffer through because if we do lose against City, that could be another low. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> oh, all right all right I, i'm bantering with you don't worry all i say is that 
after our West Brom smackaroonie, uh, we, we responded very well, I think, against Crystal Palace right after that. But what I'll say is that after our uh, Arsenal lost, which sucked because we didn't deserve to lose, um, we did not respond well in the FA Cup at all. Um, but yeah. the FA Cup loss, which sucked, we responded really well tonight. So what I will say about that is I'm glad to see after that. And literally, I really wonder what spurred them on from a loss in the FA Cup um, into this kind of form. I wonder if it's a video with the Marte okay. that disrespecting her flag or whatnot. Or um, I think it was two things. Two things? One, uh, I think it was probably three things, actually. One, they were probably frustrated with the refereeing decisions that went against them. Two, they stood there and saw the Leicester players lift the trophy. When you see that, despite all the chances, despite all the opportunities you had to win, and you see Leicester lift the trophy because Tielemans decided to take a shot from outside the box, and it went in, that hurts. That's the second thing. The third is the Amity video. And they, obviously, as Tuchel said, they, they definitely did see it. He definitely implied that they saw it. So all those things together definitely fueled up the energy, I'd say. Yeah. I would say, if, after seeing that Amarty Vizio, um, as a Chelsea fan, it pissed me off. I know a lot of people who aren't Chelsea fans will say it's not that deep and everything. If it was your club, I'm pretty sure you would say it is that deep because it's just a shine of respect. And Amarte, who literally doesn't do crap for his team, basically, like he's just a bench player. Like he's the equivalent to Alonzo or Emerson for us, or literally he would have been a drink water. Probably if drink water was still on our team, he doesn't do anything. And he had the balls and the audacity to disrespect our pennant and our flag like that. And yeah, you got the horns, buddy. You got the lion fangs. You got everything we could have thrown at you today. And my God, when the fight, we'll talk about the fight in a little bit, but oh my God, when he had the balls to come off the bench to try and tussle with people. And then, Oh, he got a yellow card. He got a yellow card from the bench. That takes a lot to do. I've seen coaches get yellow cards easier than someone on a bench. So Amarte, yeah, he might have – thanks for the video because ultimately it helped us probably. But um, I won't say much about the Arsenal game, um, but the, the one things I will say about the, the Leicester FA Cup loss is I was very disappointed in Tuchel because – I thought Tuchel really made some poor decisions. I thought keeping Kepa in because he's a cup, air quotes cup keeper was a bad decision because I believe when you're in a final, you're it's the end of the line. There's no more games after that. You have to put your final starting 11 to win that one game. And you put your strongest 11 in there. And Mendy is our strongest 11. And he didn't put him in. He put Kepa in. And I don't know. I can't say if that was definitely Tuchel or if that was someone behind the scenes. I'll leave it up in the air, but all I say is Mendy goes into that game. And I'm not saying that because Mendy saves that shot or something like that. That's not the argument I'm making. Kepa couldn't save that shot. That's just literally um, something that is out of his reach. Mendy maybe could have saved it, but my point is that Kepa shouldn't have been in there from the start just because it's a final and your best keeper needs to be playing the final. Not to mention everyone's probably heard by now 
that Telemans had said, I got a text from, um, and he didn't release the source. He had a text from someone saying, aim for the top corners. And Telemans is known for being a good uh, long shot shooter ever since his days, I think at Anderlecht he was at. And he, he took his opportunity. He literally needed one shot and one opportunity and he seized it. So thanks Eminem for the motivational words. But um, he, he only had one shot. He only needed one shot. And God, the fact that there was a handball, a controversial handball leading up to it, that should have been called off because literally the FA Cup, not the FA Cup, sorry, the FA regulation rules says that if a ball touches your body and then your hand, if it goes directly into a goal, then it's um, it's off automatically. Or if it leads to a goal scoring opportunity now, and the biggest gray area is saying is what he did leading to a goal scoring opportunity in my book. Yes. Cause they scored a goal from it. So it's, and it's very, Iffy because funny enough, the the Chelsea women's uh, Champions League final, which we won't say much on, but congratulations to the champion uh, to the women for having an amazing season, doing phenomenal things, making it to the Champions League finals. It was very unfortunate to see them go out uh, of the final like that and everything. We won't talk about it too much just because we don't want to dread any kind of losses or anything like that. But one thing I will say that I really noticed from the women's game was there was a handball call that. Um, one of the women's, it hit off their foot and they hit their hand. They called it a handball in open play. And I was like, the fact that they just called this handball when almost it was the same situation as against Leicester, they did that and they called it. I was just like, that's ridiculous because that shows that they missed that call in our game. And there was a handball in today's game that I couldn't see a replay of, but it almost looked like it went off of the foot and then the hand of I think it was Ayosi Perez, actually, again. I think it might have gone off of him, um, and I, I, it was called a handball, but what I wanted to see is if he went off his foot first or something, because if that was the case, then it's literally just proving the fact that Chelsea were screwed over in that decision. And literally, they that was their only shot on target. They I don't even know if they had any more shots in the entire game. I can't remember. But that was the biggest thing I had an issue with was, one, Tuchel made some poor decisions in the lineup and then the substitutions, especially with Tammy Abraham, not even on the bench. And we had two left backs. Um, Emerson just shouldn't have made the bench in my opinion. Um, And then two, we didn't, we were screwed over in the calls and then don't even get me started on VAR ruling out Ben Chilwell's goal because VAR was brought in to basically overturn egregious errors. It's clear and obvious errors, which is the, the definition of needing to use VAR, that is not a clear and obvious error. Because for one thing, what is the point in having a linesman if they're not going to call offsides like at all? Because I, one thing I hate is how delayed they are. Um, they've literally been told, keep your flag down if you think they're offsides and let the play go on and then call it later. That's one thing that pisses me off, especially because when it's obvious offsides, but when it's like with Ben Chilwell, he didn't put it up because he was pretty sure it wasn't offsides because he's watching it. So what's the point in having a linesman there if we're not even going to go by the linesman de- decision? And how? And if that linesman made an error, I think it would have been a clear and obvious error if Timo Werner's goal went in today and it counted and VAR overruled it based on how offsides he was. That's a clear and obvious error when it didn't get called initially. If Ben Chilwell scores um, in play from being that offsides by literally millimeters, which... I'm pretty sure he wasn't even offsides 
because the line, which is literally worse megapix, worse megapixels, whatever terminology quality than freaking a tube TV. I would play my Nintendo 64 on back in the day, that worse of quality. The line looked like it was drawn to his elbow. His elbow can't be offside because it can't be used to score a goal. And literally, it's just like, if we have all these cameras, how the heck have we not had some sideline cameras that are level with the field? Like ones that can literally track people or even an aerial one. I know I'm talking like an American because the NFL has all these, these line cameras. They have the pylon cam in the NFL in the end zone. We have these aerial cameras who get a much better angle. Have you ever noticed Anytime someone's making an offsides call for us or anything, that camera line is not even straight normally. It's always at an angle. We're just taking a computer's word saying it's straight. Here's the thing. The computer's not making the lines. Someone's drawing these lines. Someone's inching it and just trying to make a judgment call. It's absolutely ridiculous where we have gotten in this game because the game is dead. Football is dying because of VAR. Because literally, it's okay. You know, you don't have any hand of God moments like anymore. I understand that because that's a huge thing that can kind of change a game. But that's a clear error. That's something like Timo Werner's goal hit his hand today. It, that's not, that's a handball. It doesn't go in. But an offsides by millimeters, it's just, it's just silly. It's, it's right, something. So can can I jump in at this stage? Yeah. Because obviously you spoke that one. So, all right. Let's talk about that. I think up fun. All right. Um, here's the thing. You say that you blame Tuchel because of the players, and uh, um, I, for me, I go the other way around. I blame the players' mentality for not being on top for most of the game. I blame the fact that these players could not convert most of their chances. Like, I, I'm going to give you a statistic. They... They had 13 shots, three on target. They also had in the first half, as I recall, eight shots, zero on target. Now, look, if Tuchel played these players and believed that they would perform in the FA Cup final, then honestly, I don't blame him. Because he expected, he saw them in training, he saw them probably perform, but they didn't deliver in the FA Cup final. So this is where I cannot blame him because I don't know what's going on in the training ground. Why, what was the real reason why, you know, basically he picked that. Now, if your assumption about Kepa is true, now definitely I'd understand Tuchel made a mistake, but most likely what I think it is, is that he thought, you know what? I've played Kepa up to this point. I'm better off just playing him, see how he goes. And the advantage is, if it goes well, he wins an FA Cup, and he's been pretty much in that competition for the entire season. So that's that's obviously the, the first thing. Now, the part about VAR. I think there is a lot of issues where people say the problem is VAR, but they don't specifically say what the real problem is. Because when it comes to VAR, you have the video assistant referee, or you have the technology itself. So when you say VAR, are you complaining about the technology, or you're complaining complaining about the referee? The referee is making these horrible decisions. I'm complaining about. The and people I think there's there's about. I mean, probably 
you're you're complaining about the referee decisions, but there are probably a lot of people that are saying, uh, no, it's about the technology. So first of all, what needs to be solved from I mean, and by the way, which kind of leans uh, towards uh, the, what you said about uh, the women's champions league fun. The English referees, for like when they've been using VAR, if I compare them, their performances to other leagues and to the Champions League, have been performing much worse. Their refereeing decisions have been poor. The English now, what's ones the have been key worse, difference? Right? What's the key difference between the English referees in England, in England matches, compared to the ones abroad, and those who officiate in the Champions League and Europa League? Uh, I'd say maybe a possible bias. You could maybe you could maybe have oh. a possible bias. What? What would you say? In those other leagues, they go to the monitor. In England, when have you seen a referee go to the monitor? I'd probably say. About what happens in England time. and is that the guy at Stockley Park or whatever, because obviously it used to be Stockley Park at the time, would do the decision, especially in 50-50 decisions, whereas. He is an assistant referee, video assistant referee. The linesman is an assistant referee. He's an assistant. He gives it, he gives it his advice to the referee. The referee makes the final decision. What do we see here is the video assistant referee making the final decision for the referee. And that's what frustrates me. So what should be happening is the referee goes to the monitor the video assessment referee explains his perspective to the referee based on the decision that was given and then from there the referee is the one that decides whether or not that decision should be reversed that's what happens in the other leagues that's what happens in the champions league that's what happens in europa league in 50 50 decisions you do not see that in england and to me that is unacceptable that is the most unacceptable thing. I, for, I can't understand why that is happening. That is what people should be frustrated about. And that is the reason why the game is being ruined from a lot of fans' perspective. And until that problem gets solved, I mean, I don't think you'll see much of a change. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously frustrated about that, but nevertheless, you know, we can complain all we want about VAR. At the end of the day, we shouldn't rely on VAR to win games. Well, no. We should be able to, Chelsea should be able to perform regardless of VAR decisions. So as much as the referees bear some responsibility, so do the players for not performing. Well, yeah, and also when I said that I was blaming Tugel for the loss, I wasn't taking it all off the players and putting on Tugel. What I was saying is I, I say Tugel made a mistake in three possible areas, I would say, in that lineup. I would say Kepa was the first major one because I'd start Mendy because he's your starting keeper. He's your big best keeper. I don't know why Alonso came in because I would have put Chilwell in because Chilwell perfectly fine, now know anything about injuries. Um, just, I don't know if it's because Alonzo scored against city or whatnot, but I didn't want Alonzo in there because, because he's not our starter. And then ZH coming in, 
I would have been debated on that or not. I would have had Pulisic start over Ziyech and have Mount on the right instead. Um, or Kai up top and then put Werner on the left. Because when it's a final like that, even though Ziyech has done um, decent in the FA Cup before that and everything, he hasn't been starting for us or been very consistent. He's been very stop and go. He's been more of a super sub kind of at times. And even when he comes in as a sub, he doesn't always do, do that much. But I would say Pulisic had been in better form and Pulisic had kind of been unfairly put on the bench for a couple of these games and everything. So that was my biggest grievance with Tuchel. But also I think what I had a big issue with is that he was waiting a good bit before making any substitutions or anything when stuff was clearly not working out for us. And when I do say like, and when I can say, yes, we have to be good enough to where we don't rely on VAR to win games and everything, but I wouldn't say we're relying on VAR to win games and everything. Cause like my thing was today's game. I was like looking at it, like, we're going to have to get a goal that is so decisive. They can't be overruled by VAR. And we got lucky with a Werner's penalty um, that he got. And that you should have gotten another penalty earlier in the game mm-hmm. because and like literally everyone was saying, yeah, that should have been a pen. And I'm literally, I don't know how you give one and you don't give the other. It doesn't make sense to me. So, and then the, but um, VAR ruling out Werner's goal, um, both goals actually was the correct decisions per se, because he was offsides of one and one he used the handball for another. So my thing is that VAR, you don't rely on VAR to win games, but whenever VAR is going to come into account, you, ha- you have to make sure it makes the right decision because, mm-hmm. because you don't rely on to win games, but you rely on it to do its job and to hold the game to the standard it's supposed to be played at. And the, and the thing about these games is they're not being played at the standard that a professional football game should be playing at. They're being playing at like a stop and go pick and choose type of game to where they're, it's shrouded in controversy. There's been so many games within like the past month, not just Chelsea, but multiple games, the West Brom versus Liverpool game as well, shrouded in controversy over VR decisions and, and refereeing decisions. And like I said, it's not the technology as much. I think there should be improved technology to where, we have better looks at people like in offsides views. We have um, better quality cameras to see closer to the field where everyone is in line with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, almost maybe think about putting a body cam on the linesman. So it has a direct line um, shooting out in front of him. Um, that way you can see, assuming they're in a straight formation that you can see, okay, who is touching this line or anything like that. Can I just add to that point? Yeah. You mentioned the, uh, the the part about Chilwell being offside. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but look, if just looking at it uh, on the image itself, yes, he looks offside. That's to me, he looks perfectly offside because um, there is a certain part of your body, which is roughly over here. So like basically the, the shirt, um, the shirt part is the sleeve. If that part, if that's basically an offside position, it's considered offside because you can technically score with that. But see, we no, can't even see that's it one thing. Now, if you zoom in, you can actually see that. Now, that's the one thing. The second thing is, my biggest concern isn't that. My biggest concern was the fact that the frame at which the, the basically the offside decision was looked at. Was after when it comes to Thiago Silva, his ball, basically, the ball was already in the air. He'd already kicked it. That's my biggest problem. And so it's not the technology that's really the problem per se. The problem is the referee in that video assistant uh, basically taking care of that technology. And that's where I was going with it is that the technology needs some improvement, but also that our the refereeing has been shambolic to say. Yeah. 
and it needs improvement. They need to be coached better. They need to be coached to go to the monitor. They need to make sure that basically they know the impact of making a bad decision like that. Now, but making sure that regardless of what happens, their, their opinion is a recommendation. They do not enforce it unless it's a clear and obvious error. Yeah. Yeah, the, we could go on and on about VAR forever. Yeah. So, but let's, 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 let's get to the game today, though, because because I know if we, we're talking about VAR, we're going to be here forever because I, I, I have grievances <laughs> on grievances when it comes to VAR. And also in relation to the Leicester game. Which one? What I find surprising is basically the, no, basically the today's game. Okay. What I find surprising is that, so the Werner is basically the penalty shot was actually given a foul the other way. Yeah, no, that is interesting. But, but not only that, the one where Werner actually got a foul was softer. Yeah, I would say that. So that I'd understand, that, well, that second one, I'd understand if it was a dive. It kind of looked like this. But for the first one to be given against him, that's what surprises me. From the back, it does kind of look like a dive, but when you look at the front, you kind of see the force that it hits him with and everything. But everyone, but the thing is, like they, uh, like the pundit said, you've seen softer penalties or penalties like that inside the box where people go down like that and they've been given. And the problem yeah. is, is that if you're going to give it later in the game, and my, my argue is you, you shouldn't give that later in the game if you're not going to give it to that in the first place. But the thing is, you should have given them both in the game. If you don't give one and you give the other, it looks worse. It looks worse mm -hmm. to me if you give one and not the other versus sticking by your guns and saying, okay, the second yeah. one's not one either. Especially if the one you've given is softer compared to the one you haven't. Yeah. That but, makes you look like ridiculous. But Fofana also had been kind of on a run, I think, where he's getting fouls and he was being kind of clumsy. So it was almost like it was racking up to the point to, to where it gets there. But yeah, so now that we're kind of transitioning to talking about uh, the Leicester game today, that was crazy. Um, I'm going to start out with a question from our boy Patrick or um, at PTP underscore COYB for uh, Come On You Blues, um, as he always says. Um, he asks us, who was our man of the match today? Now, Mason Mount got the man of the match award actually in the game, um, which I was a little surprised on because um, I, I knew he was, a very, uh, he was a very prominent role. He had a lot to do in the game and everything, but he didn't have a goals contribution as far as uh, I was aware is pretty sure. Because I think um, the Rudiger header came from a Chilwell cross, I believe. And obviously, Timo Werner drew the foul for the Jorginho uh, penalty kick. If I, if I remember all of that clearly, which um, it, is actually, it doesn't actually say who got Rudiger's. Uh, I don't know if Bencho actually got that assist. It doesn't say on here. Um, I don't know if it's um, So no players got assist, by the way. No? No players got assist. It was only... Um, well, I mean, obviously, Inacho... Uh, when he scored a goal, yeah. he definitely got an assist. But he was the only one who got an assist. Um, Rudiger's goal, I think it was deflected. That might have been it. Oh, yeah, him. It, it, was it, it was Chilwell basically did the corner. It was deflected towards Rudiger, who basically, where the ball touched his knee um, and went went in. There was a claim that probably there could have been a hand ball, but looking at basically the highlight of it, um, no, he basically touched his knee and went in. Yeah. So, so, and then, yeah, obviously, you know, so if, converts. if, um, if Ben had got that assist, I would have give Ben a bigger shot than Mason Mount probably for man of the match. Cause I thought Ben had a really good game today. 
Um, but overall, Rudiger is my man of the match overall because one, his, he had a, a big goal to come in for us to get us going. I thought he was just defensively stout as a freaking mountain back there. He was giving no, he was not giving two shits about anybody coming his way. He was he was controlling it and stopping everyone. And then obviously the fight. No, I I, I can't. I can't ignore the shithousery that that man exudes right now. He is truly a bastard at the back. He is the masked bastard at the back with that freaking Batman looking mask that is just amazing. I, I hope he, I hope he keeps it. It, it. it suits him. He he's he's menacing as hell with it on. But with the fight, with everything that he just emulated, he he seemed like a true true leader today. And it, it made me love it, but his performance spoke for itself as well. And getting that goal is a crucial way to get us back in the race. So that's that's why Rudiger's my man in the match. What about you? I mean, honestly, had it not been for Rudiger's goal, I would have probably gone for Thiago Silva. Um, because, I mean, for, for all the reasons you've listed, Thiago Silva was absolutely exemplary. He had 100%. But the thing is, is that Rudiger was, was amazing too. And he got a goal in a crucial moment for Chelsea because they needed one. So, if anything, I definitely would have given it to Rudiger over Mason Mount. I'm very surprised Mason Mount got it. That being said, though, it doesn't mean that he wasn't bad, if he, that he was bad. It's oh, just, I don't think he did enough to warrant man of the match compared to the likes of Rudiger or Thiago Silva. I'm just surprised because he wasn't involved in either of the goals, I don't believe. That's 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 why it's surprising that Mason Mount got it for me. But I thought Mason Mount was great off the ball and on the ball in the game in all the other ways. And like I said, um, Thiago Silva I think had a hundred percent game. I think if I look back at the stats, I think he had a hundred percenter, which might be the second one of the of the year now. Um, but if if Thiago Silva had got the goal over Rudiger, I probably would have said Thiago Silva would have been my man match. It's really the goal that kind of decided things. Um, and speaking of goals, um, so so just for the record, are you saying Rudiger is man match, or are you going to stick with Silva? Uh, no, no, I'm saying Rudiger. But Rudiger, okay. if it was so for the but if I go for a second option, if you if you force me to go for someone else other than Rudiger, then I go for Thiago Silva. Okay, so so for Patrick, we'll we'll both lock in Rudiger as our answer. Now, um, I kind of want to go over the lineup, but I kind of want to um, touch on uh, one other person who is Jorginho, the other goal scorer. Um, Jorginho has been in bad form. I thought he has had some bad performances these past two games, and I, I was wondering when the the old Jorginho was going to come back. I saw the Orzo Virginia come back today. I was very happy that he was finally making the progressive balls. He was probably, he was breaking lines again. He started playing forward and everything. He was definitely in his better mindset and everything. So I just want to give kudos to Jorginho for getting his mindset turned around and getting in. Yeah, it is true. His mindset was good, but there were a couple of situations where there was a bit of a repeat against Arsenal and Leicester where he was giving a little bit away, like very close to give away possession, which was a bit nerve wracking, but luckily it didn't happen. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll talk about Kovacic later too with that. But yeah, my th- my thing was that um, I was just I want to commend Jorginho for changing his game up because because uh, he should have been taken out of the game against Arsenal in my opinion over Billy Gilmore. Billy Gilmore was the better player than him in that game I thought, but he stayed in there and he didn't provide anything. He didn't provide anything in the FA Cup final. I thought I thought he was very mundane. I thought he was very uh, negative in side to side passing. So mm-hmm. I was like, if I feel like Jorginho is going to stay in this side because of his seniority and his leadership and everything. But I'm like, Jordan, you have to find a way to turn it around. And what I was happy with 
is that in his normal ball playing progression and everything, he was actually doing what he was excelling, um, excelling under Tuchel with previously was playing the ball forward. Um, he's playing the ball out, but then he's playing the ball forward instead of keeping going like in a triangle backwards towards Mendy and everything. So I just want to commend Jorginho and turning that around because that is the type of Jorginho I want. If um, I was assume he's going to play um, probably against Aston Villa and city at the end of the year. So that is what I want, but also cut the errors out. Yeah, I mean, I like, look, in terms of Arsenal, I'll go very quick on this. I don't think Jorginho was really responsible for the goal, necessarily. I think um, there were, um, there was a video that was circulating, obviously, at the time. Right now, it's basically removed off Twitter. So it's a bit hard to show. Um, but there... Basically, I remember that basically Zuma got a pass from I think one of the one of the center backs. Then he laid it off to Jorginho. Who Jorginho passed to Zuma. Yeah, who, who, who passed to Zuma uh, again? I think. And then afterwards, Zuma was like he, he could have laid it off to other players, but then he passed it again to Jorginho, and that's when obviously Jorginho at the time he had a, a close player player that was in proximity who decided to press, and the thing. The one thing I'll criticize Jorginho about is that he didn't have, well, uh, he didn't realize that Kepa was out of position. He didn't look where he was passing. Yeah, he, he, he basically, he saw that he was being pressed. He needed to pass quickly because otherwise he thought that basically the ball would be taken away from him. And that's the last thing you would want. So he basically decided to pass it towards goal. And because he expected Kepa to be there, he, he wouldn't have expected Kepa to be anywhere else. But you can't, you can't just expect that. You have, as a professional, yeah, you... But you, it's you, true, as a professional, that's probably the one criticism I'm given. That's, it's that Kepa, it's that pass to Kepa in that situation where you don't read where Kepa is. And so, yeah, obviously, Kepa tries to come back to collect it, but here's the problem. If he lets it go in, it's an own goal, obviously. Mm-hmm. But because he touched it as well, and it was a back pass... It would have been an indirect now, kick on the six-yard line. It was, it was an indirect kick, but not only that, had Arsenal not scored, it would have been a penalty. Yeah, so it would have been an indirect kick on the six-yard line. And since it's an indirect kick, I guess that makes the, the wall on the goal line possibly? No, it's a penalty. It's a definite penalty because the thing is, he touched it with his hand inside the, uh, inside the box. But that's an indirect kick then in the rules, isn't it? No, I don't think so. It's basically it's a back pass, and because in those situations you're not supposed to touch with your hand, um, and he did, so that would be a penalty shot. Yeah, I mean I might be wrong, but as as I recall, it would be a penalty shot. Um, but obviously in this situation Arsenal scored. So, um, anyways, let's let's go back to Leicester because that's obviously what we should be focusing on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um... I kind of want to go over the lineup and everything, just to talk about how I thought uh, people did um, in the game today, because I like the lineup. I had no problems at all with the lineup. I thought it was done really well. Um, so many goals should have started as always. Rudiger Silva, um, Reese. I do like that Reese is being played as a right center back, because I do think I just, I like, I've always wanted him at that role, because I always thought he'd done really well. I know Christensen, is getting back into health and everything. So it's um, it's different to play Aspie at right wing back, which I'm not totally advocate for because um, I feel like it's a very weird shape almost because he's a little more defensive inclined. And if he goes up too much, 
Like he doesn't provide enough as much as he used to with assisting and passing um, to the proficiency that he used to like with Murata and everything, how he, he'd be able to go up the wing and everything and just get fizz those uh, balls in for crosses and everything where Chilwell excels at that. So really it looks like Chilwell goes up and then a spilly cook that kind of hangs back. So it's a little bit odd, different shape. So I'm not a fan of Espy at right wing back, but I'm a fan of using Reese at right center back for tactical reasons mm-hmm. to shut down the opponents. Um, yeah. as, of course, that's assuming Christensen doesn't come in and play, which I'm not sure if he will for the rest of the year. I actually don't see Christensen coming back. He might actually, no, actually Villa, he might come back in Villa. I I can see Reese, I'm sorry. I could see Silva or Aspi getting rested uh, against Villa. I could see one of that happening. I see, okay, basically, uh, Mendy, obviously, I was very happy with Rudiger, Silva, Reese. Now, the thing about Reese is that I never expected him to be a right center back. To me, he was either a right back, a right wing back. Uh, or, or those were the two places where I saw him. The moment I saw him in a right center back, and I saw the physicality he brought to the game, I was absolutely impressed. I, but the thing is, is that. I, I generally do this situation where I tend to undervalue players because I want to, uh, it, it, it gives a little bit more perspective because if you don't have any expectations about a player and he performs, then that's even better. You know, and, and also he's a, he's a common player. So, you know, I mean, you're not really going to have much of an expectation compared to if you signed, uh, if you signed a player for that position. So to see, um, to see Rhys James performing at right center back when for me he looks like an attacking fullback. That was impressive. Now, in terms of Aspilicueta, however, I think his time of basically being that attacking fullback is gone. He's more or less um, that sort of um, defending fullback, which is why to me, unless you're going to play him as right center back, I would prefer to see Callum Hudson Adoy. Yeah, but then again, like, the leadership aspect of Aspi is kind of being outweighed more than uh, than Callum's athleticism and everything in that position. But also Callum mm-hmm. hasn't had a very consistent run of form in the wingback role or the um, or in the winger role. And honestly, uh, recently. So um, I feel like Tuchel's just kind of riding out the rest of the season with the, the safer mm-hmm. options. Like I actually in Villa, I think we're going to see Aspi go back to center back. And I think we're going to see uh, Reese go back to right wing back against Villa mm-hmm. against city. That's interesting to me. I well, we won't talk about the city game really. I'll I'll save that kind of preview for after the Villa game. But uh, what I say is, um, I, I think again in at Wigan and at Cobham, Reese played center back um, a couple times. Like he mm-hmm. he trained at center back a lot at Cobham, I believe. And then he at Wigan he had to do a job at center back and center defensive mid while he was there, um, along with being right back um, at points. So Reese has been a very versatile player, and I've always wanted to see him. Um, at right center back because I thought he could do a great job there. The, the only thing was I was worried we would lose his crossing ability, but a right, a right center back kind of with Sheffield United, how their three back system does the overlapping center backs. He can easily um, carry up if he has the opportunity, kind of like Rudiger does, but he could just do it on the right side and fizz and across kind mm-hmm. of like that. And I'm pretty sure he's, he's pr- um, efficient enough at crossing that he'd be able to work with the angles and everything. Mm-hmm. But um and then I was glad I was glad to see Ben back. I knew Ben had to get back in this game, and he did not disappoint. He had a very good game, in my opinion. I thought he did really well. Jorginho and Conte, 
Um, I expected that to happen. Um, and I'm glad, like I said, on Jorginho earlier, I'm glad to see that he changed his game and he did better. Um, now based on the quotes, uh, like everyone should know, if you watch the game, the Conte got taken out in around the 30th minute or so like that, um, for precautionary reasons, um, based on what Tuchel said in the quotes, Conte said that he felt his hamstring or something acting up. And he said, if I keep going, I might hurt it. So he's not hurt right now. It was purely just precaution. So Tuchel put him out and, um, and put Kovacic in. So that is the story on that. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Conte did all right, but everything I'm not worth. I don't, I don't think the game was crucial enough to risk him when we had Kovacic on the bench. And I thought when Kovacic came in, I thought Kovacic had a good game for the most part. And then, and then near the second half, he started making these errors. He, he did cost us that goal. Um, he ultimately um, turned over possession that led to a goal being scored against us um, to ruin Mendy's clean sheet and take him out of the golden glove uh, race. So Ederson now will officially win the golden glove race. And if we had kept a clean sheet um, and city played next week against Everton, if they had conceded a goal and we kept a clean sheet against Villa, then Mendy would have been the joint uh, golden glove winner. But unfortunately he's going to miss out on it this season, but he's already done phenomenally and he might, uh, he's probably, I'm not saying probably, I think, he has a chance to also get the golden glove for the champions league, depending on how the final goes. If, if uh, nobody keeps a clean sheet, then he will. If we keep a clean sheet, then he will. But if city won and kept a clean sheet, I think it would go to Ederson or technically they would share it. I believe. Cause I think Ederson's only behind about one. So Kovacic, um, I do see starting against Villa. I see Kovacic and Jorginho probably starting against Villa. And I'm okay with that. Um, my thing is, Kovacic, just make sure you're cutting those errors out. I thought he looked really good, though. I thought he, what kind of Kovacic was like was taking a Red Bull can, shaking it up, and shotgunning it, and then basically being juiced up in the midfield for a good bit. Um, so I think Kovacic has been missed. I think he definitely looks really good and slots in for Conte well when he needs to. My one thing is he's got he's to gotta cut the errors. That's the biggest thing. Him and Jorginho. We can't have those errors happening. See, the, the, the thing for me is that um, I think because Kovacic was coming back from an injury, um, it's hard to really gain back your form straight away. You need a couple of games to really gain that back. Um, I think I saw that with Kante. I mean, his first game when he came back from injury, sometimes he wouldn't be the greatest. But his second game would generally be better. So I'm hopeful. I, I think basically we'll see uh, Kovacic probably against Aston Villa. And we'll probably see him perform better. Um, I'd be very surprised if he didn't, though. But I, I, I do think he will probably perform. Uh, he'll probably start against Aston Villa uh, and be given a chance to prove himself uh, for the um, for the Champions League. Yeah, I definitely see that. And then as far as the front three, Mount Werner Pulisic, um, I'm happy with it. I expected it. I've come to terms with that Werner's going to start almost every game. It seems like. Because uh, just the dynamic impact that he brings to the team. And he had a good game today. Despite not getting the two goals, I thought Werner had a good game. And what I'm wondering is if uh, Werner actually was able to turn up because of the fans. Because he put in, he quoted uh, in his post-game interview that he loved hearing the fans cheer for him. Because um, the, the chants and everything that were just for him, like they don't do that much in Germany for the players. So what I'm wondering is now that we have fans back in the stadiums, is Werner going to turn up and finally start reaching his form? Because he looked like a different player today. He looked just more confident, more sure, and everything. Um, and, like, he finished two chances technically, even though one was offsides and one with his hand. 
he still was able to finish them off somehow. But my thing is that he got he drew he should have drawn two penalties. He should have drawn two penalties today, and he also has now the most penalties won with five, I believe, in the Premier League by any player. Um, so Ferner, despite all the goals that he has missed, he's had a good he's had a par season for us. He's been on par. Mm. He could have had a great season if he had been doing most of these goals, but I am content with Werner being striker, especially because Kai uh, got hurt with his hamstring. So Kai, who knows? Actually, I think Werner was already going to start because um, Kai got hurt after the lineup came out. It looked like. Um, so I, I, th- I'm just, I was happy with the front three, especially because I knew Mount and Pulisic should have started and I'm glad they did. Mount had a great game. He had a very good game, I thought. Pulisic is going to be an under-the-radar type of good game because he did everything he needed to, kind of, except score or an assist in the goal. But kind of as far as facilitating a game, just being reliable, being dependent, he did everything he needed to. He just was kind of quiet, almost. Like, he he helped facilitate the game kind of without you noticing, um, is what I would say. See, okay, on, on my end, when it comes to Timo Werner, there's, there's obviously, I don't know if you've been hearing uh, what Graham Jusun has said about Werner. Uh, he's basically said that his numbers are terrible and a better striker would be the final piece. I mean, look, frankly speaking, guys like him, I mean, I'm not going to complain too much because obviously they're paid for their opinion. But it kind of feels like, well, I mean, maybe, maybe that's just basically a title piece. And when you go into the detail, you understand what they mean. But if I'm just basing it off of that, the, the the problem I have is that people tend to ignore Werner's work rate. His work rate has been exceptional for Chelsea. And what I like about the fans is that they said, look, this is your first season. Yes, okay, you haven't had the greatest of performances in front of goal. But your work rate is still there. You're giving it your all, game week in, week out. You're trying, and so they even came up with a chance for him to bring up his confidence, and that's why he was so confident today. And I, and I'm actually so proud of all the fans who chanted that to make sure that Werner had the confidence for that game, because that's what we want to see. And I, I want to see more of that. I want to see basically for players who are low on confidence. Yeah, the fans were exceptional today. I think the fans yeah. really – this is kind of bold for me to say, but I'm starting to think with the fans back in the stadiums, I don't know if we'll lose that many games next season at home next year. I mean, I know every stadium has fans, and all fans play a part in their own team's things, but there is something different about the team today, and I don't think it was just that they were upset at Leicester. I think the fans really did something to them that really juiced them up because – Chelsea were dominant. Like this was a dominant Chelsea game where they had every deserving right to win that game. And they did. So I have a good feeling that when the fans are fully, who knows? I think we're getting full stadiums by June or July. Aren't we? Something like that. Thereabouts. I wouldn't be surprised if by next season we have full capacity stadium. Yeah. And it sounded like a full capacity stadium um, already. So I think next August Mm -hmm. or September, when we're having these home games, I'm expecting a lot of big dubs because I don't know. I, I felt there's, and maybe it was just how much the fans were been gone for so long, but they, yeah. something was different today. Something. I mean, you were there. You were there. Yeah. You tell me. I about was there it. at the game. You tell I'm, me about uh, it. 
<laughs> you know what? Okay, what, what do I do now? So I was at the stadium, and I have to say, I it, it, I mean, obviously the atmosphere itself felt like a general, a, a general Chelsea game. But the thing is, is that I okay, put it this way: I have not been at the Stamford Bridge Stadium inside those seats since March 2020, since that Everton four 0 win. Now imagine going in there as a fan. You have been gone for so long. You have not been able to enjoy the team. You you have this virtual atmosphere that's that's constantly you know like this constantly Chelsea Chelsea whatever. And also at times, even though in the normal stadium that will not happen, you have the away supporters being as loud like uh, as on the virtual level as the home supporters. But then you come back to the stadium and then you're like, well, this is, I mean, this is what we live for. You know, we live for this type of experience. We live for basically, you know, but just being there and give, giving confidence to these players, you know, rather than making it feel like it's a training ground routine for them. And I think the presence of fans there today, that's probably one of the other things that boosted the confidence. Um, uh, of, of these players compared to the last few weeks. Yeah, you know, God, there's nothing more than I want than be able to go to a game there and experience it in a stadium. And even it's weird because when I would like see people's videos and um, um, see like all of their like uh, pictures and everything when, where the game is going on, I look at it and be like, how in the hell do y'all actually see what's going on in that game? Because sometimes it looks like you can't see anything. Like you, I feel like you won't. You can't even tell who scored a goal sometimes on a corner or something until you see the name pop up on a screen, or like or someone you're hearing names saying, "Oh, it was this person." Because like I saw well, unless they celebrate it. Yeah, unless they celebrate it. But like I can't see that well. I have twenty twenty vision, but dang, dude, I can't see from that far out. That's why I love. Because like I'd love to go to Stanford Bridge and watch a couple of games, but I'd probably rather watch at home. Um, a good couple of bits just because I can actually see everything going on. He's <laughs> like, that's that's a good thing. Like in the um, y'all don't have this, um, I'm pretty sure at all in England because I haven't seen any games that I've watched on TV. But um, in America and like the NFL and everything, most stadiums have a big TV or something where also you can see kind of a close up view of the of the field and everything. So if you're in a bad spot where you can't see much, you can watch the TV there and kind of sees close up views and everything. But you're also a much more aerial kind of view where you're looking downwards and you can ever see everything going on from the, the sky view. Whereas it seems like a lot of times at like Stanford Bridge, I could be wrong because I've not been there since my tour. It looks like you're kind of looking level off, just far out. Like, well, the thing is, you can be looking level, but you could like if you look at level, you're basically on the on generally on the first row. Yeah. Um. On on uh, on, on basically the lower levels. But the thing is, you have a screen above you. You know, you have, they're small, yes, but you can still see them. Oh, so there's a screen? Yeah, there, there's two screens, basically. You have one um, around the, um, basically, I think, around the shed section and another around the Matthew Harding section on the corners, basically, okay. on the sides. But you have two screens, yes. Oh, okay. Um, so you can easily have a look at that. Um, and see, for me, this is why I always say to myself, look, I mean, either you put the best option, is either uh, either you want to be basically very close to the experience, so as close at the at the front row, uh, in the lower level, either you want to be at the back row of the lower level, 
Or you basically, and, and if those things don't satisfy you in terms of the view of the game, okay, fine, then go into the upper tiers. Which are more expensive? I would assume now, lower. the lower tiers are cheaper uh, yeah. compared to the uh, upper tiers. Um, that, yeah, that did surprise me, especially because Wembley, it's the other way around. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, basically, that's what it is. And, you know, I mean, I have to say, given the price you have to pay for that, I honestly can't complain. I honestly can't complain. It's, it's just the fact that being there, you know, that, that for me, that's what really mattered. And, yes, I could, I mean, I could have been, like, in basically the shed uproar rather than the shed lower. Um, but at the same time, I enjoyed the view where I was. And, you know, some people might want to, to have like a, a better view from, from up top and be like basically, or maybe they even want to be uh, in the Matthew Harding, which is very famous for having, you know, very loud and supportive fans. Um, it, it depends on what you really want, really. Well, I'll have to figure it out whenever I go to Stanford Bridge or something, because that's definitely on my bucket list. That has to happen. So uh, one of the last things I want to talk about with um, with the game is let's analyze that fight, the one at the end, that <laughs> it was just amazing. So we see uh, we see Ben Shiwell get fouled by uh, Ricardo Pereira, I believe, and then we see Rudiger um, shrug, um, shove him away, and then an all-out bench brawl almost basically ensues that has – the keepers from both um, nets coming over, all the players on the field, the refs, people from the benches, like the coaches, the, the training staff, and it's, you literally see little bits of everyone in there. And, oh, my God, I had never been filled with so much energy where I've wanted to go and jump into a crowd and everything. Then watching this fight break out, I'm like, this is like watching a hockey and, like, football and everything mixed in because this, you don't see this happen in or sorry american football man but like this is um you don't see this happen in football normally uh in these games but damn like it, yeah, it gave me man city the, and spurs vibes from those do, those do you games. remember the the manchester city against chelsea one where chelsea won three one in conte's first season you know that brawl that broke out yeah it reminds me of that the one where sesk got um smacked off this uh side i think by aguero or Fernandinho. Yeah, and then where Fernandinho got sent off yeah. as well. That one was yeah, crazy. That, that but you know what's also one. hilarious? Is that throughout that whole proceeding, Tuchel did not get involved. He just watched. He just stood there and watched and just didn't focus on it. He's just sitting there just chilling. He's like, I know my time's get- I know time's getting wasted. I know it's going by. <laughs> but by the way, time wasn't getting wasted. It was just at it. Yeah, but it, it, it threw off everyone's game and everything. Like yeah. so it's it's hard to get in a groove again after that kind of mess about. Jeez, that that was crazy. It caused two and a half more minutes on the clock, basically, maybe even three. But no, it was something like that. It was insane. And then uh, I we talked about earlier, one of my favorite things seeing was Amarty come in and then like he's like touching up on Silva and Mount Summon Silva, Mount, Mendy, and Aspie are trying to get away and then they see it's Amarte and then all of a sudden they get fueled up again and they start raging at Amarte and then then the crowd gets going yeah. again. It yeah, was just... I mean, here's the thing. The thing about Amarte is, you, I mean, we all know that uh, the reason for that is because of the video Yeah. Uh, of okay. Amarte basically following the flag. Now, here's the thing. Lester publicly apologized for Amarte. Yeah. 
I don't know if I heard anything from Amartya. Oh, I didn't. But the fact that Amartya... Now, if Amartya did say something now, that's, that's uh, obviously my bad. But I'm going to go on the assumption that Amartya did not say anything about it. If he did not, the fact that he did something wrong, that the club have to apologize for him, for what he did, and for him to behave the way he does by trying to basically get involved in a fight, is, look, people will say whatever they want about Olivier Giroud and say, oh, you know, thank you Arsenal when, while lifting the Europa League. Look, the differences between MRT is, uh, and Giroud is that Chelsea fans had no bad blood with MRT before that incident. Arsenal fans, on the other hand, were not a fan of Giroud. They, they didn't really like him per se. They were happy that he was actually sold to Chelsea in a, in a triangle uh, trade, which involved Bitrai to Dortmund on loan, uh, Aubameyang to Arsenal, and uh, obviously Giroud to Chelsea. They, Arsenal actually thought they got the better deal. They were that happy. Is it, wait, they is were this that happy they got the better deal. But this, you know what's even more surprising? Is that you don't see Aubameyang lifting the Europa League trophy. You don't see Aubameyang in a Champions League final. So for, for basically, in the sense of basically Giroud lifting that Europa League trophy and saying, thank you, Arsenal, it's like, it's basically saying, well, you didn't want me anyways. So, and I joined Chelsea. I won the Europa League against you guys. So thank you. Amartya, on the other hand, like what did Chelsea do to him? There is absolutely no reason for him to behave the way he did. I think he was just being huh? a dickhead. Yeah. And people say that basically, oh, you're being childish, you're just crying, or, you know. It's like, well, hold on. If someone did that to your team, are you going to tell me you're just going to sit there and be calm about it? Hmm. I highly doubt it. If you're being really non-biased, you would not be. Definitely. Did you know Ricardo Pereira and Amarty got yellow cards in that scuffle, but no Chelsea player did? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, knew, I knew about Amarty. I didn't know about Pereira, though. Yeah. Amarty has zero stats in this game. He was on the bench the whole time. Zero stats, zero passes completed, zero minutes completed, one yellow card. Is that a negative on sofa score? Literally. Well, that, that's nothing on Sofa Score because he didn't even come on. He got a yellow card, though. You got to get a negative or something for that. You don't get anything because you didn't come onto the pitch. Man is useless. Man is just, he's just accumulating yellow cards on the side of the pitch. So sad. But that was, it's just, it's actually funny to me that we, Edward Mendy got a yellow card, but apparently it was for time wasting. I never even saw that. But yeah, but the, I mean, I have to say that was pathetic from the referee. And you know, I also saw that there was a post uh, from Alex Goldberg of uh, Zamora giving his opinion Zamora. on Mike Dean. Yeah, Mike Dean always makes it about him. And you definitely see it because he's like, well, hang on. How many times has Schmeichel not kicked out the ball at the appropriate time? But then all the of a sudden, Mendy does it once and he gets booked. Yeah, I would have said the throw-ins was a big problem at some point that the Leicester City players were taking so long with the throw-ins when the game was level. Like, oh, it was just um, when it was 1-1 that they were just taking their la-di-da time 
Just doing. Uh, it was never one one. Was it ever? No, no, it was one nil, then two nil, then two one. Then maybe it was. Was it nil nil then? Wait, was it nil nil at half? It was nil nil at halftime. Yes. Yeah, it was nil nil at halftime. Okay, maybe it was first half then, but they were taking their time doing the throw-ins, in, and I could hear the crowd getting upset. Like they were like just taking a while, but yeah, that's dumb to freaking get a yellow card. Oh, I think Aspie also got a yellow card. Um, I just saw it in here. I didn't see him get a yellow card in the game. I think he did it because he went off on the side where the players were coming onto, and the ref told him to go onto the uh, yeah. But, but the thing line. is, he had to give the captain Don Brad to Jorginho. Yeah, and afterwards he decided to basically go the, uh, still carry on. Yeah, and afterwards he was like, "Well, of course, I mean, like I understand, you know." But but I think if the booking, I don't remember when the booking was given, but if the booking was given right when he went prior, off, like basically prior to basically given uh, the armband. Then that is disappointing. Well, actually, okay, right when he went off. It was called for time wasting. The official okay, stance is when, time wasting. When did he give it? Was it basically... 87th the, minute, and he went off in the 88th minute is the recording time. I know, but what I mean is, did he do it in between starting to go off and giving the armband to Jorginho, or between that moment of giving the armband to Jorginho and going off? I don't know. that's it, two different things. I don't know. I'm just going off of, uh, off of app's timeline and everything because it oh, literally yeah. says verbatim, I barely quit this book for what seems like time wasting. The Chelsea's captain's number is up for, up anyways. So, and then it says Kurt Zuma came in for Aspelli Quinto. That's all I got on okay. there. So I don't, re- I never even saw Aspie get a yellow card. I never saw Mendy get a yellow card. Mike Dean's handing these I saw these Mendy get cards. the yellow. I didn't see Aspie. Yeah, me- yeah. Mike Dean is handing these cards out without people even noticing. But no, it was, it was crazy. That fight awesome i loved it i loved every minute of it felt like wwe brinch brawl everything was just breaking out i was just like somebody somebody swing please actually nobody swing because we'll probably get a a suspension or something like that um yeah but um it was crazy now let's let's talk about looking forward and everything we're third place now above lester by only um, one point your camera is out of focus by the way yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to put it back into focus. Um it's all right, but yeah, um so we're we're one point above Leicester right now and only separated by uh we have a plus 3 goal differential on them. So let's talk about how we into top 4. Uh either Liverpool loses tomorrow uh at Burnley or we win versus Aston Villa if uh, Liverpool uh win against Burnley. I think if Liverpool tie, they are technically still in it. But um a win versus Aston Villa next Sunday or Liverpool losing would uh, seal it. So that is that is basically where we are sitting right now in the table. And Leicester, if Liverpool win tomorrow, Leicester actually go down to fifth, I believe. Um, also, Tottenham and West Ham have been eliminated from the top four race officially. So uh, West Ham still can get Europa League. Um, technically, Leeds can get Europa League in theory, but it's not going to happen. So it really, we're seeing if West Ham is going to get Europa League or not. They have two games left. Tottenham have two games left, and we're seeing if they'll get Europa League or not. And Liverpool have two games left, and we're seeing if they'll get top four or not, obviously. Now, as far as Aston Villa goes uh, and who we start in it, um, we do have a good bit of time to rest because it's uh, Tuesday when this game is happening, and then the game is on Sunday. So that's a good bit enough days so honestly, if I'm thinking about um, who I start from this game, I, if I'm being honest, the only people I wouldn't start at the very beginning is maybe Aspilicueta 
or Silva and Conte, obviously. And then as far as, far as other people, uh, I don't see Kai coming back. I don't see Kovacic would be in for Conte. Um, it is a must-win game, too. So if unless Liverpool lose, it's still a must-win game. So I'm assuming that we have to win. Um, I would put, I would, the only changes I would make is put Kovacic in for Conte and I would put, uh, Christensen in for Espelicueta and then put Reese at our right wing back. That is probably the only change I would make. Okay. So, um, obviously, uh, regardless of when this is coming out, cause, um, I also did a voice note talking about my front three Preston Villa. Now I'm going to incorporate that in regardless. Um, in terms of changes, what I would do is I would have uh, Christensen obviously in for Thiago Silva. I would have, um, gosh, I don't even remember. What did I say that I wanted to see? Ah, I don't did even you remember. Want at white, did you want Callum at right wing back or something? No, because obviously the question is well, when, that we did for the for those that don't know, um, obviously, when we sent in our voice notes, there were two questions. Um, oh, the front three. For, 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 for basically, yeah. There were two questions. Either it was the front three uh, that you talked about, or you basically talked about the, the regime's right, uh, right center back and Aspiliqueta right wing back. Yeah. Um, what I remember is saying, I think, was that in terms of the front three, I would go for Abraham Mount and Ziek. And yeah, based assuming on, it's a must-win game? Regardless. Okay. I know it's probably a bit rash, but um, the, the fact of the matter is, is that I think... I think Abraham, against his former club, would, would probably... I mean, I don't know. I just feel like this probably could be a good idea. Especially because, you know, he hasn't played a lot, and that's probably going to be his last game of the season. So I, I would love to see him at least get that game. Uh, Ziyech, well, I mean, look, um, he hasn't played a lot as well, but I, I do feel like, you know, it, that hopefully he ends on the high. Um, and then I'd have um, Kalamatun Adoy at right wing back. I would say I'm okay with that if Liverpool uh, lose tomorrow at Burnley, and then it's not a must-win game. But if it is a must-win game, then I wouldn't do that just because – I, I don't think uh, people's playing time is what we're thinking about at this point in the season. It has to be all guns blazing. Make sure we get the win for top four. And then when, then we take the champions league as it is the next, mm-hmm. which is still, we still have enough time to rest because but we have almost. Here's games. the thing. Also, if, if Liverpool draw, we just need to draw against Aston Villa to be confirmed in the top four. I, no, if, if, if we, if if Liverpool lose, I believe it's done. Like yeah, no, no. Okay, but what I'm trying to say is draw. Yeah, okay, but what I'm trying to say is if Liverpool draw against Burnley, then all we would need is a draw against Aston Villa. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, I I never have the mentality. I'm okay playing for a draw. Uh. I don't go Ted Lasso it, and and say we just need a draw. We just need a draw. No, because I because I don't think you can put a lineup out there saying we're going to play for a draw unless you're going to be a park the bus kind of Arsenal kind of deal and just say we're just going to throw everything back in our own side 
and just play, try and play for a draw. But I don't think that's what Tuchel's kind of mentality is. So I don't think Ziyech, Tammy, Callum's playing time really matter at all to him unless um, unless we already have it sealed up with a with a Liverpool loss. So I personally would go uh, with still with strong 11 and then um, just have him on the bench. And then if we're up, if we're up one nil or two nil, if we're up two nil, then you can make your subs and give them give them their minutes. If not yeah. one nil, no, you do whatever you need to do okay. to make sure you get the win. And technically, yeah, we just enough. need a draw. Technically, we do just need a draw. Yeah. Um, but look, I mean, regardless, I think uh, Burnley gets Liverpool. I don't see Burnley winning that game. So it's it, you're probably right in the sense that Chelsea will still need to win against Aston Villa. But it's going to be very interesting to see who gets into the top four, or like who is guaranteed into the top four between Chelsea, Leicester, and Liverpool. Because one of them is going to drop out. And if Liverpool do drop out, I see. And that is going to be very interesting to see what the uh what basically they decide to do with Klopp. I see Liverpool get finishing in top four um over Leicester. But if they don't, if then they don't. it's gonna be interesting. If they don't, what what do you think will happen in terms of Klopp? I think they'll give him one more season to fix it. And they'll, I think they'll give him an ultimatum season. And they'll say, they say, you have to win the Europa League. You have to finish top four or win the league. And um, if you don't do any of or all of those, then you're gone. But I think a biggest reason they're not going to overlook the fact that they did struggle a lot with injuries and defensively. Wait, so you're saying if you don't do any of uh, basically two out of three options, which is top four, win I would the say league, and Europa League. He has to... If he doesn't win, because because when you think about it, Europa League and top four, both get them Champions League. He has to do one of those two to to get them back into Champions League. If they did not get Champions League next year, then he would be gone. He would be one hundred percent gone. Okay. So I don't see Klopp getting sacked this season because I think they're going to say we have had some injuries and everything. They've kind of yeah. made it tough, so they're going to say you're going to have injuries, but they probably will not be able to make many transfers at all. In the summer window, yeah, that's gonna be a struggle. That's for sure. Yeah. So, well, we're probably gonna need to wind down this episode a little <laughs> bit now. So, as we do that, Alex, tell the people what you're up to these days or where they can find you. <laughs> well, these days, uh, obviously, you can easily uh, find me on Twitter. Um, obviously, uh, Trey was kind enough to give the plunk for that one. CFC Alex ninety eight. Um, with obviously the profile name being Alex H. I also have an Instagram page where I uh, post pictures of um, basically next matches, match days, so basically preferred lineup predictions, information about the opposition, uh, what the starting eleven actually is, and then a full-time graphic. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, check out my Instagram, cfcalex.98. Um, I... Uh, and then yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it on that front. And um, and yeah, I mean, I have to say, obviously we've been here a while, but it's been a pleasure to be on because I can't for the life of me, I, I can't believe how I've been on a podcast like this for pretty much two hours at least. I've lost track of time. <laughs> I, I'd probably say it's two hours, uh, but for the. The fact that I'm, I was given the opportunity by you to actually be on this podcast, I mean, I'm very, very grateful for that. So, yeah, thank you very much for that. Uh, and it was, it was a pleasure to have you on. And I can guarantee you pro- you'll probably have an opportunity to come on again in the future. We 
and it probably be transfer talk because the reason this episode has gotten so long was probably because we literally spent our first 30 minutes or so talking literally just about transfer talk and 15 minutes yeah so something like that and so we'll definitely have to bring you on later on for transfer talk maybe i'll bring you on for the uh the attacker series um, when it comes to like uh, we're talking about our forwards and everything and what to do with that. Well, I mean, you can bring me on for the def- uh, goalkeeper and defender scenes since I've already talked about the attackers. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it plays out. But Alex, thank you so much for coming on to the True Blue Show. I really appreciate it. It's always great to have new perspectives coming onto the show. Sadly, Wes couldn't be with us tonight um, because he had some family stuff going on. But we should be having him back on hopefully for um, an Aston Villa post pod and everything. So we're going. Hopefully got more content because we only have two games left. Um, and uh, who knows, we'll, we'll have the Champions League final uh, one coming out based on however it goes. But also we're going to have some Euros content coming out. What we'll probably be doing for the Euros is we're going to be following the Euros pretty closely. And we'll probably be giving just some updates on how Chelsea players are doing and how the uh, national sides are doing. So obviously it'll probably be like tracking Scotland, Wales. Oh, we tomorrow tomorrow's a big day it's rumored that billy gilmore is in the 26 man scotland squad but we will find out well by the time you listen to this it will probably be the day of so we will know if billy gilmore is in the euros or not if he is i am buying a scotland national team jersey with billy gilmore's number on it that is a 100 guarantee that's and a trail guarantee if he's not no then i'm i'm writing a letter to the scotland fa and i am formally resigning from being scottish ancestry so that is basically what I'm doing. I'm revoking my Scottish ancestral rights. I literally have like gravestones with my name on it in Scotland. My, my name, apparently, like my legal name is actually like a, a royal, I, I say royalty, but what I mean is like, it's a clan heritage name or something from way back in the day. I went, when I went to Scotland on my trip in like 2019, I saw loads of gravestones with my name on it. I saw, I went to my <laughs> town in Inver- Inverness, Scotland, where my clan was basically known a lot. So that was awesome. But if uh, Scotland um, are in the major tournament for the first time in forever and they don't have Billy Gilmore in there, then I'm saying F you Scotland and peace out. I'm American all the way. So that is going to be the biggest thing to find out tomorrow. And then obviously we're going to be tracking Wales with uh, Ethan Ampadu probably should be making, um, he probably should be making squad. Christian um, Christensen should be making the Denmark squad. Uh, Kovacic is going to make the Croatia squad. We got Kante, Zuma, Giroud making the French squad. And then we have uh, loads of players making the English squad. And I, I we're going to have Jorginho and Emerson, I think, in the Italy squad. As far as everyone else goes, I don't think we have anybody else in Euro squads that I can think uh, of. Did you say England already? Or? Yes. I say, I just said oh, there's going to be loads of people in England. Okay, yeah. And I'm also not 100% sure who is and who is not there. But I'm almost positive since Ziyech and uh, Mendy are in AFCON, so technically, I think as far as Euros go, that is all the people we have. Yeah, in but, terms of, uh, I don't know if you count as well Lonies, but Bashwai will definitely be in the Belgium squad. Bashwai will be in the, yeah. And which obviously, being a half Belgian, I will definitely be rooting for Belgium to win the Euros. I actually uh, love Belgium. I, but if, if they don't, you know what? Honestly, it, it's not always that easy because, you know, I mean, look at the competition. You've got France, which has an amazing form of talent. Um, Germany could do well. England, who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if they are the dark horses in this one of, of the of the of the big clubs of the big sorry national teams um, to basically potentially win it because I don't think anyone would expect them to actually win it. 
Um, but there is there is a talent there. It depends on how Southgate does uh, with those players. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely be following uh, Belgium. That's for sure. I will say formally, I'm pledging my allegiance to Scotland and the Euros. So I'm hoping and counting on them to win it all. But I will also say... Belgium is my number two pick. I, I very I very much like supporting Belgium and everything. I'm a huge Dries Mertens fan. So I love Dries Mertens. Obviously, Hazard, De Bruyne, you got to love them, Lukaku. I mean, I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't want Belgium to win unless you're English. So so Scotland, Belgium, England, that is my hierarchy of supporting in the Euros. And then everyone else, and let the let it lie how it may be. But uh, yeah, and I I, pro- I don't know if I posted it already. If not, I will post a predictions. I think I have because I <laughs> because I put Scotland winning it all on the Euro predictor, and I posted on Twitter. I think. But if you haven't already, go to um go to the uh, the Euro predictor site and go uh, post that app. Make a make a bracket. Post it on uh, Twitter. Let's have some funny debates. Uh, sorry, <laughs> some. I just combined banter and debates into debates somehow. Yeah, that's how you know it's probably time for me to end the episode. So that's where we're going to end it, guys. Thank you, Alex, again for coming on. We'll look forward to have you back on in the future. So thanks, guys, for tuning in. It's been probably one of our longer episodes in recent uh, uploads. So thank you for still listening if you are. So just, guys, remember, stay true and stay blue.